right, so it is, uh, hello, it's Monday, it is uh, hello. February 16th, it is President's Day, ladies and gentlemen, and so uh, we had several things we were weighing to begin the program. Uh, we have the Family Guy thing from last night, which is prepared, but it doesn't, doesn't really feel very presidential. So. It isn't very presidential, Rick Emerson. I, it's I have, hilarious. But. I have it edited down uh, because I got it from TMZ on Friday uh, afternoon, and I hadn't bothered to edit it until this morning. So I got it edited down, but it doesn't really work to open the show. So I have... Let's back up. You, Sarah Dillon, have a presidential uh, song. I just, I, I was, you know, perusing the internet, and I found a presidential song. Is it good? If by good, you mean seven minutes long and list every president and what they did? Yes. <laughs> now, it's not the same, but this can't be the same one that I have queued up, because I have something. You have what is yours? Mine is a man and a woman singing about all the presidents of the United States. Oh, that's so, that's okay. That's not mine, then. Oh, really? Well, you should, okay, we'll play, play yours. We'll... Okay, well, let's just play a little bit of it, though, because it's like seven minutes long. Okay. America's president number one, founding father Washington, John Adams second president, the very first White House resident, Thomas Jefferson number three, doubled the size of our country, then James Madison number four, led us through the English war. Monroe is number five. The Monroe Doctrine still survives. Another Adams, John Quincy, rose to the sixth presidency. Seven Andrew Jackson was a frontier common man. Number eight Van Buren, first president born an American. How much longer does this have? Six minutes. <laughs> no. I know. Look to Western expansion. Taylor, twelve of the army, nickname Rough and Ready. Really? Thirteen Fillmore in his eyes. Best for all was a compliment. This is like one of the songs they play at prisoners at Guantanamo Bay to try to break their will. <laughs> Cannon 15. One bachelor we've ever seen. We have to. This is not even halfway over. There's like 44 no, presidents. No, no, it's not even the third of way over. All right, no, wait. Okay, no, no, no. We'll do this. All right, then let's find All right. Uh, here's, ladies and gentlemen, today's uh, exercise is going to be called Variations on a Theme A Good and a Bad Way to Approach the Same Style of Songwriting. Uh, it is President's Day, Monday, January 16th. Uh, we will start the show proper in a moment. Before then, right now, I give you Jonathan Colton. Washington came first and he was perfect. John Adams kept us out of war with France. Jefferson made a Louisiana purchase. In 1812, James Madison kicked the British in the pants. James Monroe told Europe they could suck it. John Quincy Adams looked just like his dad. Andrew Jackson got rid of all the Indians. Van Buren served one term, but he wasn't bad. William Henry Harrison died early. 
John Tyler and Texas from Mexico. James K. Pope fought Mexico to keep it. Taylor was a Mexican war hero. Fillmore gave a vote to Commodore Perry. Pierce appealed the Missouri Compromise. Buchanan saw the Civil War's beginning. Lincoln saved the Union, then he died. Johnson just survived impeachment. General Grant enjoyed a drink or two. Rutherford B. Hayes ended Reconstruction. Garfield was assassinated in 1882. Arthur suspended Chinese immigration. Cleveland made the railroad people squirm. Harrison signed the Sherman Antitrust Act. Grover Cleveland served another term. Kinley kicked the Spanish out of Cuba. Roosevelt was handy with a gun. Taft was big and fat and had a mustache. Wilson kicked some ass in World War One. Harding said, let's let this bear with business. Coolidge made the roar in 20s roar. Hoover screwed the pooch in the Great Depression. Roosevelt beat the Nazis in the war. Dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. Eisenhower kept the commies well in hand. Kennedy was killed by a magic bullet. Johnson murdered kids in Vietnam. Nixon was a sweating, filthy liar. Ford gave Nixon pardon for his crimes. Carter left it in his heart for peanuts. Reagan won the Cold War and lost his mind. George Bush Sr. poked at Saddam Hussein. Clinton gave an intern a cigar. W's legacy is a work in progress. That is all the president so far. In the year 2005, we're out of money. Somewhere surely freedom's on the march. I don't like to make political statements.
My hello, it is 12 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11, and this the month of February, the year of our Lord 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friend, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. If you would like to join us today on President's Day, February 16th, 2009. Uh, 503-733-2970 is our number. 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, whatever it is uh, you might have today. 503 503- 733-2970. That was uh, our good friend Jonathan Colton. And if you saw Jonathan Colton play at uh, the Aladdin Theater a couple weeks ago, a couple things. A, that line about uh, was it Ulysses had a drink or two or something? I guess because it rhymes with a guy who was assassinated in 1882 or whatnot. So he changed it because now he says uh, Ulysses thought drinking was fun because I guess the guy was because some uh, presidential nerd. So I guess they pointed out that there was some sort of mistake. And he's also added a line about Barack Obama at the end. So if you see him live, uh, or if you find a live performance on the web, uh, you'll see that he's actually updated it now for 2009. So there you go. Uh, it is uh, President's Day. It's 503-733-2970. We are here today creating amusement uh, for you, the people, as we always do. Here's what's coming up. Speaking of presidential nerds, Lisa Desjardins will join us today from the Hill. Uh, let's see. We've also got Steve Kastenbaum is going to be joining us uh, from New York City. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent. Amanda Moyer joining us uh, from the south as we talk about Rod Blagojevich, who's sort of like some sort of unsightly pimple on the tip of your nose right before prom. He just won't go away. Uh, we've got the top five coming up today. I actually have now two top fives that have sort of, they're both done, they're both sitting there, they're kind of just stacked up, but I haven't, I haven't gotten to either of them. So I'll try to do one today, perhaps uh, along with Scott Daly, who will be here in the studio. Uh, so Scott Daly will be joining us, I don't know, around 1.30, 1.40, something like that, to talk about the upcoming... Uh, the, the Booyahs, which are the Film Fever uh, Radio Awards, slash Geek in the City Awards, slash whatever they are now called awards. So that's coming up this Saturday. We'll talk to Scott Daly about that. I do believe, although we haven't confirmed this yet, I do believe we will be talking to one Ricardo Torres, who is the editor-in-chief of GameSpot magazine. We're going to talk about the evolution of the first-person shooter, uh, starting with, like, uh, with uh, like Wolfenstein and then all the way through... Uh, like Doom and Quake and, you know, whatever, all, all the way up to Left 4 Dead. So we'll be talking to Ricardo Torres from GameSpot Magazine today. At 2 o'clock, we'll be talking to Sherry Heiner from, because uh, that polar plunge thing is happening. So uh, Mattress World is doing, that's the thing where it goes out and jump into the Columbia River and say, say your prayers to the God of your understanding before you do so. So we're going to be talking to Sherry Heiner. She's going to be in the studio today, uh, at which point she will admit that she has a small crush on me that is growing larger by the day. Five zero three seven. Ask anything on a scale from one to ten. No, I'm saving all those questions for Ketzel Levine from now on. <laughs> that was a courtesy laugh. That's what that was right it there. It sure was, Rick Emerson. That was a fake laugh. You didn't really find that funny at all. Um, no, but listening back to it, like that didn't sound as bad as I thought. As it, it felt. Yeah. It didn't look nearly or sound nearly as bad as it felt at the time. Well, we'll talk more about Ketzel Levine here in a second. I should say that I, I think this was, I don't think it was an email. It might have been an email. It might have been my MySpace. I think it was an email, though, last night where a guy, I don't remember his name, some guy emailed me last night, I think drunk, at around midnight. He goes, by the way, just expect a phone call from me between 11.30 and 12, because I'm still pissed off about Ketzel Levine. Blah, 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 the best show ever did. So that was it. So I'm already looking forward to those calls with the most baited of breaths. All right. Uh, it is uh, 503 If you'd like to join us, Richie Bristol standing by. Ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the uh, interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, 
or the mundane. It's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T uh, at 970.am. So it, while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to write down on my show matrix here uh, things that we will discuss. Cancel Levine. All right. And there we go. All right, so that's what's coming up today. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, Amanda Moyer, the top five, Scott Daly, Ricardo Torres. We'll talk to uh, Sherry Heiner of Mattress World about the Polar Plunge coming up. We've got maybe a top five. Um, we'll talk Battlestar here in just a bit, although there's really not much to say about it. Here's what I'll say about Battlestar, which uh, was Friday, and I didn't get a chance. To, I didn't see it at um, you know at the Baghdad, so maybe it was different in like a group uh, setting. If you were seeing in a room full of 350 other Battlestar Galactica fans, and you know maybe it resonated differently somehow, but boy, I just didn't care. Just didn't care, don't care, have stopped caring. And I almost wrote this, here's how little I care. Last night I was actually sitting around thinking about writing, not really a screed, just sort of an observationalist blog posting about the whole thing. And it was going to be, I don't even know what last night's episode was, it was like episode 4.11 or nine or twelve or fjord or something and i didn't but it was going to be called like battlestar galactica episode like 4.11 the end of caring because i will watch it all there's only four episodes left i think at this point or five episodes left and i'll watch them and i'll, I'll go to the baghdad and i'll hang out and you know I'll, I'll clap and cheer and jump up and down like an idiot and whatever i just no longer care all that much i've just reached some sort of a tipping point with that show where i think of however many episodes they've done it's like a full quarter of them that are just crap, and and so I can. It's become a thing I can no longer recommend uh, wholeheartedly. Now, if I recommend Battlestar Galactica, it's going to have to be. It's going to be one of those shows that you recommend with an asterisk, which I think is how it is for Lost, by the way. I mean, I think if you ask like a Lost enthusiast, so what do you think about Lost? Is that series great? And they go, well, it's pretty good. Season two kind of sucks. Am I wrong about that? Well, season two wasn't the best, but I mean, now I think it's Lost is on the upswing. But I mean, right if now. you were, if somebody would say, hey, tell me everything about Lost, is that whole series great? And you'd say, well, it had its ups and downs. I'm still a little broken from when they were. Wait, us wait for nine months. See, that's and that's my thing. It's just like with The Sopranos, uh, where you you can't go. No, Sopranos is a great show. You should watch it from beginning to end because every episode is filled with wind. Mm-hmm. You just can't say that. What you can say is, well, it was good, and then it became less good, and then it was over. So, and a lot of shows have that thing where they sag in the middle. Like South Park had that, where it came out of the gate really strong, and then there was this. It was like a couple seasons. I don't know, right around like seasons five or six or so where South Park when it was bad it wasn't all that good and then it became great then they had some sort of a renaissance so anyway so anytime it, this is all I'm going to say about Battlestar Galactica on Friday anytime you have to spend and by the way that was a lie just now when I said this is all I'm going to say about Battlestar Galactica on Friday because clearly I'll be saying more but I will sum it up with this anytime you have to spend an entire episode with a character who comes out of a coma to then give awkward expository dialogue in the most like tedious of fashions for 44 minutes seriously he's in a coma and he wakes up and everybody it was like it was like watching trees grow in real time that's what friday's Battlestar was like it was a whole bunch of people standing around a guy's hospital bed while he says and so then um it, it was like listening to a long unfunny version of that of that Rick Moranis speech in, in Ghostbusters, where he's like, and then on the 15th day, Clothar took the form of the giant slorg or whatever. <laughs> but but imagine if that went on for 44 minutes and wasn't funny and wasn't being delivered by Rick Moranis and made no sense. Whatever happened to Rick Moranis? I don't know the answer to that. Oh, I, need to, I'm, I must be Googling him right now. 
Last thing I saw Rick Moranis in was Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. That's it. After that, nothing. Anywho, so uh, eh, there you go. It's uh, 503-733-2970. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you today? Hello. Oh, very well. It was an action-packed weekend. Was it really? It really was. Please to explain the action. Well, on Friday evening, I went over to my friend Lisa Wood's house and then ah. uh, went into a show and saw... Um, Rick Emerson and his wife there. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. And how was that? Oh, it was glorious. Was it really? No, kind of some super douchebags. See? Uh, all right. I fine, like the music. Fine, fine. That guy set me. I, I know that. I, okay, I'd had a couple of cocktails, but anyone who scolds, at, like who's unappreciative of an audience, and who the first thing out of their mouth is like, "That's gonna be the last picture you're gonna take a flash of me." <laughs> And that's it, and then like has all these lights around him so that nobody can take pictures of him. It just it, it kind of sets the wrong tone, so, I believe. So the it. Gutter Twins at this big, the, the Gutter Twins played at the Doug Fred Friday, and uh, the Gutter Twins are Mark Lanigan from the Screaming, formerly the Screaming Trees, and Greg Dooley of Afghan Wigs. And they put out this album last year called Saturnalia, which which is a great album. Lisa Wood and I, that was like one of the first, that was one of the, Lisa Wood from KUFO, that's one of the first things that she and I sort of bonded over that was like a mutual, the mutual love was of that record. Because she was like, oh my God, I've got it on vinyl. And I'm like, oh my God, I got it the day it came out. And it's just, I mean, so we, and that, Laura will tell you that that Gutter Twins record has just, especially around the end of December when it was just like the snowpocalypse outside and it was just bad and everything was bleak and dark and ugly. You'd step outside the front door and there was like three feet of ice. And that Gutter Twins record had just been on repeat constantly. I mean, I'm a, I went through days where I would just put, I'd get up in the morning and I'd put it on and it would just stay on all day long and I would never take it off and it would just repeat over and over again. And it really is one of the best albums. I don't know if it's one of the best albums I've ever heard, but i say it's one of the best albums I've heard in the last, in the last five years, at least for me. I mean, it's just, it's just off the charts fantastic. So we go to the Doug Fur on Friday and which is, you know, a show that I heard about, I think in late December or something, right after I, right after I started listening to the record a lot. And so we go there and Greg uh, 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 from the Afghan Wigs and Mark from Screaming Trees come out and they start playing. And the thing is, and they're both kind of known basket cases anyway, because they both had what we'll charitably call chemical dependency issues. And I mean, I think Mark Lanigan was a big drunk for a long time. And so they're both kind of nutty and unstable. But I think it was, what's his name, Greg Dooley, who, as you said, the first thing out of his mouth. The very first thing, not anything, not even before. He's like, hey, everyone, how you doing? Thanks for coming out. The very first thing. It was to tell some guy in the front row, like, if you take a picture of me, I'll beat your ass, or whatever. And, uh, you <laughs> and know. I kind of set the tone. <laughs> so, I mean, so he did that, and then they started playing, which I, which I quite like. But I know that that rubbed you the wrong way. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I really did, and I was able to behave myself for like the first hour and 15 minutes. I think it was after really? about an hour and 20 minutes. I was like, this is An hour and 15? Ending. Really? You want, to stick, you want to stick with that, uh, with that figure? I do, because I remember looking at my uh, at my phone, and they were still playing, and it was 12.32, and I'm like, this must be amazing for everyone who's loving them. But for me, I'm kind of like, this is the longest show ever. I don't mean to be ungrateful. If only it had been that gracious when it came out of your mouth. <laughs> so, uh, so as the night went on, uh, so so Sarah became less and less enamored of the show, but became. You did that thing of like, like the less you were enjoying the show, like 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 the louder your commentary about the show became, and so it was like watching a movie with a director's commentary, except it was a director's commentary of just like all the ways in which the movie sucks. So that was kind of, as the night went on, that became... So it was like there were two shows happening simultaneously. There was the Gutter Twin show, and then there was the Sarah's Innumerable Ways in which this is a big waste of her time show, which... 
which became uh, kind of like its own little. It was like a. You know what it is? It was like that. What is that thing they have at the Rock Fest or Lollapalooza? It was like the second stage. And so the second mm-hmm. stage was the Sarah performance art about why this band sucks and should be destroyed. Oh, you're, you're making it totally <laughs> overly dramatic. It wasn't the entire time. It wasn't. No, it was. I would say it was probably about halfway through the show that, like, the comments. Because, you know, you do that thing. It's like, again, that tipping point where at the beginning, you're sort of whispering the comments of, like, well, that guy's kind of a douchebag. Mm. But then at a certain point, like, you just drop the whole pretense that you even cared if anybody heard it. And so it was a lot of, like, this show keeps going on and on and on and on. I know, I'm sorry. Why are they still playing? Oh, God, it went on forever. And so, anyway, so the show kept going on. And at the end, and then like at one point, I think you went out for a cigarette or something. Yeah, you went out to, and I went outside. But, but then you went out again by yourself later. Mm. And I think when you said, like, I'm going to go out for a smoke. When I come back, hopefully they'll be done. <laughs> and, and so you left. But of, but of course they weren't. And so they're playing. And so you go out for a smoke and you were out there for however long. And then you come back in. I even made a couple new friends out there. I was out there for like a good 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, well, they'll, they'll totally be done by now. And, and so you came. And the thing is, and I here's the thing, and I knew they wouldn't. That's the thing. Like when you left, you're like, and I, when I come back in, hopefully they'll be done playing. But I knew they weren't going to be done playing. And so I'm watching them play while you're out smoking. And the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, they're not going to be done playing. And Sarah's going to come back in. And then she's going to be irritated that the band is still on stage playing for people. And so you come back in. And, of course, like, like I didn't even see you come back in. I just heard you. Like, I knew you were back. I knew you were back from your cigarette break. Because as I'm watching the show, I hear this voice behind me say, they just keep going and going and going and going and going. And then you came in, you like, were standing next to me. And at that point, the band had, I forget if it was, if it was the encore or if they'd already, if it was before the encore. I think it was before the encore. <laughs> but they were doing, they started doing a series of covers, which were pretty interesting. They did an Everly Brothers song. They did that Dream, Dream, Dream song by the Everly Brothers. And then they did something else. And so then it became this, and then they did the Tennessee Waltz, which was fantastic, which was amazing. And... But with a lot of bands like that, then it became this thing. And the only reason I'm telling this long story is because yeah, it's... because now you're really like making me feel crappy about it. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. And you're like, and Sarah's just loud and drunk and annoying, and she keeps complaining. Like when all actually, like it wasn't that much complaining. And I was standing with a bunch of other people, and we weren't standing very close together, you know, for a majority of the time. Well, I'm just saying. Okay, well, if you're trying to, if you're successfully trying to make me feel like crap about it, it's working. Well, that escalated uh, quickly. I wasn't trying to make you feel like crap. Well, I mean, you're pounding it into me. It's been 14 minutes of you talking about how loud I was and how I'm ruining everybody's time. Okay, now I feel crappy about it. Which I didn't say, by the way. That's you who just said that, not me. You're saying you're you're snickering and saying I'm the second second stage. Well, that's. I mean, it was it was like it was like Gutter Twins miss. You know, like it was like a riff tracks Gutter Twins performance. I'm just saying, I can get smacked so much before I start to get a little flush faced about it. I'm just saying. So, but so this all leads up to like the most awkward point of the night, which is when they're doing a whole series of covers and it's like an Everly Brothers thing and they did the Tennessee Waltz which is great and so it's like well, what great what great odd cover will they bring out next and so I can hear them tuning and they're doing that thing where you can tell the song is about to begin and Sarah's like so anyway let me tell you more about the Gutter Twins and finally I just said shh and I just hushed you and then you give me the look of like did you just hush me and I think I finally just said yes yeah, yes I did so and then there was like this whole thing afterward where I had to like, sorry, I hushed you. I was just trying to hear what cover they were going to play. So anyway, it was all. There could have been so many more pleasant stories that we could have told in that last 10 minutes. <laughs> I went and saw Murder City Devils, and I really enjoyed that show on Saturday. How were the Murder City Devils, Sarah? Oh, they were okay. <laughs> it was good. It was that so is great. a great story. I was it was so earlier. crowded. You couldn't even move. It was really cool, though. All right. 
That was a fun show. All right. Well, is this going to be a whole thing? Is it going to be... Well, it just kind of made me feel like a jackass. I mean, there's funny, and then there's, like, you, like, grinding, like, salt into the wound a little bit. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your time. I didn't realize that it was such a big deal. But, but, but see, that's a lie, though, because when you say that you didn't realize it was such a big deal, like, you knew I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Yeah, but that's I guess totally I, not, that's I know, but just I guess not I, true. I go to so many shows, I guess I didn't, you know, I just forget that you go to so few. But I don't. I mean, that's my thing. That's it. Like, it's like I'm just used to going to shows all the time, so that's why I think I just didn't realize how special it was to you. All right. Well, anyway. So, there you go. So, awesome start. I'm just trying to So what? I was just making the book because I don't want it to be a thing. I don't want it to be you like You made it a thing. If it wanted to be a thing, we could have talked about it off the air. We could have heard about Richie going to a rave this R- weekend instead of talking about this. How's your diet, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richie. I appreciate you trying to be uh be a master of rapprochement. Thanks so much. All right. Well, in any event. Well, that was fun. That teaches me to discuss something on the air. I just don't see what can be accomplished from that. Well, I feel, well, now I feel stupid. Now I feel bad. So I'm. Well, sorry. and what? I mean, really, in the grand scheme well, of things, what's accomplished by just dis- what's accomplished by discussing anything on the air? I guess I think more can sometimes be accomplished by not discussing it on the air. I, what? I know you do. I said I feel better. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you feel better, Richie. Oh, all right. Well, do we have to break here? Yeah. We're at the bottom of the hour? All right. Take a break, and then uh, Sarah and I will fight during the break and then come back. All right. Back after this with Lisa Desjardins. Go to, uh, don't go anywhere. It is Monday. It is the 16th President's Day. Back after this. You sit there. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into awkwardness. And, you know, dysfunctional codependency and whatever. Uh, well, so there you go. So as predicted, so Sarah and I had a big one-sided fight immediately after the microphone went off, which was basically just me yelling at her. And now we all feel better, don't we? Oh, boy, do we ever. So I'm sorry if you felt blindsided by it. I didn't. I did not mean to... That's okay. It's just like we keep it so lighthearted, you know, during... Like during the opening segment, and then I felt like you were really coming out with nails. And so I'm like, wow, I, I, I just... And I said that I don't like to talk about personal things, which is true. I don't. But see I that, keep them all inside. But see, that's but see, that's not that's not true. See, that's the no, thing. No, off the air. That's what you were saying. That will see that, and that. I mean, I don't like to talk about them off the air. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, so when we were going into the break, and you were saying, well, why did you just, you know, like, why did you bring it up? Why did you, you know, I don't know. I think we went. I think we turned up the mics, and you were like, well, why did you? Why were you so passive about it? Or why didn't you talk about it? You know, off the air. Why did you bring it up this morning? It's because. It's because I know that you don't like, like, we don't, I, because I know you don't like to talk about that stuff off the air. That's the thing, right? I mean. Because I am kind of like a guy in that sense sometimes. Yeah, I mean, so, all right. That's okay. Sorry, I'm sorting news stories. It's okay, well, let's. <laughs> well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what else to say. All right, well, all right, fine. No, you're being all neurotic and sad, and I don't know what to do to make it better. We might have to hug. No, we don't have to hug. So, anyway. I Well, what? You're being weird now. What? I don't know what I should do. I was this was going to be the section where we like diffused all the awkwardness, but now, you know, that's not really happening either. So, anywho, the the whole reason that I brought it up like in the earlier segment is because I know that it makes you uncomfortable whenever we talk about things like this off the air. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And 
And as I said, going into the break, see, I just don't want to be recreating the whole conversation we just had during the break. But as we went to the break, the, you, you know, you said, like, why did you bring it up? And why didn't we talk about it off the air? And it's because anytime I try to bring anything like that up off the air, I know it makes you feel awkward. And so you preemptively, you preemptively sort of snark at me about, t- about bringing, like, you. Mm-hmm. Can you not do that right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just have somebody's. This this is probably somebody's important paper. I'm trying to get it all out so that I grabbed all the new all things. Right. Anyway, I just think because now you know I just don't want everybody because no everybody else wasn't here during the break, so I don't I I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be a thing where where people hear us you know being really tense going into the break and now it sounds you know now it just sounds like a weird one sided awkwardness thing on this side of the break, so. I don't. I mean, I'm not really sure what you said, what you meant during the break when you said that you know we we really are related or, or whatever. But every time some that we have any sort of an issue or a problem or there's any sort of a conflict, and I go to apologize to you about it, I know it makes you uncomfortable. See, and that's the thing is like you don't like it when guys apologize to you. Like I know that you you like apologies make you really uncomfortable, and and it's not it's not like it's not even just apologies. It's when it makes you really uncomfortable when people want to. Like, resolve things or bring things up. And so there was, like, all this weird awkwardness on Friday, which is, I should have found a different way to do it. Like, I shouldn't have hushed you. I mean, I'll tell you, that, but th- th- I feel bad that when you said, so anyway, and I went, Shh, which is, like, the rudest thing ever. I mean, I shouldn't have hushed you, but I also shouldn't. But I felt like I shouldn't have hushed you, but I also felt like I felt like I was not being allowed to enjoy a thing that you knew I was really looking forward to. And, and so, that's what we were saying during the break, too, because I, I, I tend to forget sometimes that you don't go to a bunch of shows. And I feel like I usually go to, like, one or two a weekend. And so, you know, like, that to me was a typical event one for you. I know, you know, now now I know, you know, that you've been waiting for it for a long time. Well, and, and, I'm, just, well, and I'm also just like you in that I just – and that I just don't address stuff right out of the gate because I just, because I just I hard as it may seem to believe from uh, hard as it may uh, you know, seem for me or hard to believe for me like I just I'd like to avoid conflict I just don't I don't seek out sort of you know, confrontation and so I just sort of like instead I'll just shove it all down into a giant black ball of seething loathing inside and not like I loathe you or anything but I mean over the course of the night it was like I just sort of it just started to rub me the wrong way, and the fact that I felt like – it was sort of – I felt like Sarah's not having a good time at the show, so therefore, like, it's not important that anybody has a good time. And I'm not saying that's how you were acting or or how you were intending to act, but that's how it felt to me, which is just my perception, which may be way off. But but that is that is how it felt on Friday. It was that, like, the guy, uh, you know, Greg from the band rubbed you the wrong way and irritated you, and, and you know, so, so you weren't into him, and so therefore, like, it didn't matter that I was into him. And – you weren't having a good time, but I was, and I felt like that was – I felt like that was not really being respected is my thing. So – but I, but rather than just saying anything about it on Friday because, of course, you know, what's the point of that? What's the point of just bringing it up? I just sort of let it kind of annoy me over the course of the night. And, and then I get verbally, like, accosted, you know, at the beginning of the show, which I know you're sitting here, and every time I say that, you give me this look. But, I mean, that's what it was. It's kind of like repressed anger turns into, like – but something that wouldn't have been a big deal, all of a sudden it turns into something like very embarrassing and very like attacking. Like I, I feel like you're, I, I understand that you know you think that I ruined the special thing to you, but really it just seems you're right. I'm, I am a little disappointed that you didn't say anything to me because now I feel completely caught off guard. Which, which doesn't. I mean, it seemed weird last night when I was here for, you know, you were here for the punk show and I came by. It seemed like there was weirdness in the air too. So it shouldn't. 
I mean, that's, that strikes me as a little false, too. I didn't you, think it was yeah. weird at all. I thought that you thought that Lisa and I were in show mode, so you weren't even talking to Well, I, well that was also, that was it, too. I just, you know. It, on, like, to be honest, I didn't feel anything. I didn't know that anything was going on. Well, but I, I mean, I hate to be this guy, but that's also because, like, you'd been drinking for most of the night, and I hadn't. And that's the thing. So I, I wasn't mean, drinking yesterday. I was talking about like yesterday when I. All right. Well, I was talking about Friday okay. anyway, which is why maybe Friday, maybe which is why Friday is ringing a little, you know, a little clearer to me, you know, or, or what you know, now than it is that it is to you because I mean, you know, which I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like, and you're drunk, which is why you don't remember. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you were in a different mode on Friday, uh, you know, than I was, and so, anyway, I just it felt like there was all this weirdness. But but the other thing is, like even like even on Friday night when I tried to apologize. To you for hushing you, which I felt bad about, which I feel bad because I, I should have found a more graceful way to do it. It's like as soon as the show was over, I said, hey, can I go talk to you for a second? And, you know, and it was like you had to sort of preemptively deflate it by saying by saying something sarcastic. So I feel like it's not it's not easy to approach you off the air about it because it makes because it makes you uncomfortable, just like it makes me uncomfortable. So as a result. I try to do it, and I feel like it doesn't. I feel like you'd rather be anywhere but right there listening to me apologize. Or so I kind of feel like my apologies are sort of against this, you know, hit this like closed door because it because it because it you just it's like every time I go to apologize to you, even when I've been a jerk or when I've done something, you know, whatever, and it's like I gotta go apologize to Sarah. And I know I over apologize. That's my other thing is I apologize like way more than I need to. But it's like when I go to do it, it's, you, you get, it's like it seems like you just want the ground to open up and swallow you so that you don't have to be there on the on the receiving end of my apology. Well, if it's any consolation, I'm not mean to sound bitchy, but I have not felt anything of an apology from you today. So don't be concerned about me feeling like you're apologizing because all I've heard you say is that I ruined your time and that you were clearer minded than me because I'd been drinking and that I thought it was the Sarah show and then it was the second stage. So, I mean, so if it's any consolation, I feel like you're like completely... Away from it. Well, I, I apologize to you on Friday. I apologize for shushing, which I shouldn't have done. Um, the shushing thing is like the least of my worries. Like after everything else that I've heard, like that's the least affecting to me. Well, what else? I mean, you know, it, here's the thing. It's like I I remember when um, I remember when Storm was on Rockstar Supernova and she did that that I will survive song. And Dave Navarro said, well, you know what? There's you know, there's this cake version of the song that's kind of ironic. You should, why didn't you do it that way? Why did you do it serious? Why did you do it straightforward? And Storm said, um, you know, she said, well, it's not, it's not my, it's not my favorite song, but it's somebody's favorite song, and I wanted to respect that. And, and it's like I, you know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, like at the show sitting next to somebody who's like telling me why it's bad or why she wishes it was over. I mean, it was just then, not I mean, very I fun. I wish she would have just gone somewhere else then. I wish you would have, like, not stood next to me because we didn't – I mean, you know, I was with a bunch of other friends. Like, uh, that would have been less insulting to me than sitting here for the past 15 minutes hearing about how I ruined it. I know. Okay, well, I didn't say you ruined it, by the way. That's – see, it's like you're already, like, escalating into a thing. But, Rick, no, say. you've been sitting here for the entire time saying, like, after halfway through, you know, after half an hour, I started being, like, started getting you to be louder. I mean, what other way am I supposed to take it? I, I, I enhanced your experience? I'm not saying you ruined it, but, but there is a middle ground. I'm not saying that it was like the way I would have preferred to hear the, the show, but I'm not saying you ruined it either. That's, you know, I'm just saying it was, I'm just saying it was not, 
like the best accompaniment to something that I had really been looking for. And I didn't and it would have and I didn't want to just suddenly vanish and like where's Rick? I don't know. He was here, now he's gone because I felt like that would So you know what? But you'll know I didn't say anything about it all night. I didn't say anything. I didn't you know, whatever. I didn't and in well, fact, I really wish that you would have you know done that like embarrass me for five minutes on Friday than for fifteen minutes today. I'm not meaning to make it a thing. I just that that that's something that we need to learn about each other. Like I'd rather you just tell me then. I don't even know what we're talking about now. I don't even know what we're talking about I Friday. Either. I don't know what we're talking All about. All I know is that we pulled like a bunch of hilarious stories, and then you and I are both just like sitting here at each other's throats. And it was just one night, and I'm sorry that it didn't go well, but I think we need to reroute our energy into something else. Don't you think? Sure. Let's take a break. We'll be back after this. I did not help matters uh, by, by for the first uh, couple songs, I was occasionally, I was like talking to Lisa, I'm like, is it true that he walked out one time and left left the audience standing there without anybody to, you know, to listen to it because he was a jerk? And so. I know, just fueled the jerk fire. Hi, guys. Mom Hello. and dad are friends. Yes. So, oh. I wish everybody could have seen... The last, uh, the last two commercial breaks. By the way, this is the Gutter Twins. By the way, <laughs> and here's the other thing. Like I get, and here's, can I just tell you? Here's how mental I am. So uh, then over, the, like, we have this uh, top five I put together. Uh, the gut that, quite by coincidence, the Gutter Twins are on. So there's a top five. I'm, I'm going to be uh, doing like the top five. This one? Yes, yes, that one right there. And the Gutter Twins are on there. And so like I was already preemptively nervous about that. I'm like, I'm going to play the Gutter Twins, and then Sarah's going to say something. Another guy's a jackass. And then I'm going to have this whole thing. Do I mention or not mention the fact that, you know, that like that about Friday? And it's and it's like I couldn't not mention it uh-huh. because because I know here's the thing. You and I both find tiny little things and we hold on to them like forever. And then like tiny little annoyances and peeves just become these huge grudges, which just become like. You unfor- pull it out of your pocket like two years later and be like, do you Seriously. remember that one time you did this thing? Well, which I'm now, please forgive me, but which I'm now already anticipating will happen with this. I know that like we're going to have some fight. Like five years from now, you're going to be like, remember that time you embarrassed me on the air for 40 minutes? And I'll say, well, if you hadn't ruined my Gutter Twins concert, and you'll say, well, if you'd mentioned that, say, well, if you weren't drunk, which is the sort of, like, here's the, which is the sort of stuff that, like, that I wouldn't take for anybody else, and you would probably wouldn't take from that many people, but, but we have this, but, 
here's the bit. I, I, I spend more time with you than anyone else. I mean, more waking hours with you than anybody else, you including I, my wife, by I the way. I don't think what people realize is that you and I are trapped together in a little <laughs> it is closed, a dark room for five hours a day, five days a week. 25 hours a week we're stuck in here, just like the two of us. And sometimes emotions get a little... Well, and there's no Tim anymore. That's the other thing. Tim was the balance. I mean, that's the thing. is, And I'm not... Because he was crazy in a different way, and Rick and I are both neurotic crazy, and Tim's just, like, kooky crazy. And I'm not complaining that there's, like, m- more me or more you. I'm really not. I mean, the, the, like the, the, the cliche says it is what it is. But the, but it's just like it, it is, it is kind of just you and I at this point. And it, it, it's, I spend more waking hours with you than anybody else on Earth. Um, and And here's the thing. And I try really, really hard not to be the jerky guy that you sometimes that you sometimes end up with mm-hmm. or that you are with. I try really hard not to be that guy. And so people are walking by and looking at us. We're in a fishbowl of emotion. Hi. Hi. Oh, thanks so much. No problem. Yeah, it's not doing, awkward enough. Stare in the window. We're doing great in here. There's little animals in a cage. So I apologize if during the last hour if you felt like I was trying to embarrass you or if I was humiliating you. And I apologize. That wasn't what I was trying to do. And I wasn't trying to throw a verbal drink in your face on New Year's. <laughs> I was not. Seriously. And I mean, and I, I mean, I'm trying no, to. No, I know. I know that you mean. I know that's with all sincerity. And I'm doing what I always do. I'm trying to like, you know, uh, trying to, to say something serious and then and be funny. Uh, but I am serious. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm really not. But you and I have this, uh, a weird, we have the most complicated dynamic ever because you can't really explain it to anybody either. And because you and I are so similar in so many ways, and you just said going into that first break, you just, you know, you were making the comment, you're like, Jesus Christ, we're such, we're so related and we're so alike, but, you know, which is not always a good thing. But I do feel like you and I have, I don't people can take this over they want, but I, it, it, there is sometimes a male-female dynamic in the way that we approach things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I approach it from one side and you approach it from the other, and there's just enough of a difference in outlook or in the way we respond to things that it makes it all weird. So I'm really trying hard not to be an obnoxious boyfriend. Well, and it can't always, you know, lead to because it also depends on the day and the mood and outside factors, too, because sometimes it's just the perfectly right time to get underneath, you know, each other's skin in, in some way or another. Right. And I was just, and I was already just preemptively anxious about it all weekend because, and I was like, there was all this weirdness. And the thing is, and I always, and the other thing is, I feel like my apologies don't resonate with you, not because you're not listening or whatever, or you're not willing to accept it, because I know, I think a big issue that, and it's all on this side of the table, I think, uh, a big issue that I have in terms of trying to resolve problems with you uh, is on KCMD Portland, is that <laughs> is that on the one hand, for all kinds of reasons that we don't need to go into, I feel like it's on me sometimes, A, because I've usually caused whatever the problem is because I'm a jerk. But even even if I feel like it's not, even if it's something you did or we both did or whatever, I feel like it's on me for a lot of reasons to smooth it over. I'm not trying to say, like, I'm the better person or I'm, the, I'm not trying to be like, I have to be the bigger man. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying a lot of times... You know, like, and I do this with almost everybody else, by the way. Somebody irritates me, you know what, I just, uh, you know, I just, that's fine. I just, I just, uh, you know, I just don't talk to them or I just let it be and it naturally recedes. But with you, for no other reason than, like, you know, we're here all the time and it's got to work and we've got to be functional. And so I feel like I have to and proactively. And above all, we've got to like each other. Yes, that because is well. That, that doesn't work because you hear shows and people are just thrown together with somebody. I can think of many 
you know, and they don't really like each other and they don't talk during the breaks or like do anything. They just like pretend and you can hear when it's fake and we don't want to be fake. And I feel like I have to. So I feel like I have to. And also because, you know, I mean, it's such a it's such a weird, complicated, weird, complicated word that. You know, that whatever. But I mean, but, you know, but, you know, I love you. And actually, you know, we, you know, you and I have been through a lot together and we've, you know, whatever and all that stuff. And so if for for all of those personal and professional, whatever, I don't want stuff to be unresolved. So I feel like I have to do it. But I know. But I also know at the same time that you instinctively. Dislike and are made uncomfortable by guys in any position of weakness. Mm-hmm. So part of me, part of me feels like I need to, you know, address issues and diffuse it and smooth it out. But then part of me almost sort of resents that I feel that I have to do it because I know at the same time there's nothing that you dislike more than a guy who is sort of a groveler or a guy who is, I mean, God forbid you get in some fight with a guy and he cries. I mean, it's like I just know. And I, and it's like I so I don't want to be either of those guys. But I feel so. You no, know. and you never seem grovelly. I think that I've just had, you know, maybe I'm, I'm you know, gun shy about it because I've had so many, you know, fake apologies for things and like sometimes it just seems not not you're not insincere but you know i've just heard so many you know insincere apologies right we're all broken inside yeah anyway so and so let's not stand next to each other at concerts that are really important and i'm sorry i should have i should have but, well, but I, don't know what just, I, but I don't know what I should have said, though. That's the thing. Like, I don't you know should have what called I, me the next day, and then we could have gone out and had coffee like we have before, and then we could have talked about it then. We've I done guess. this before. I guess. Remember we go to the barley mill, and you fill the Grateful Dead jukebox full of, like, Metallica, and then, like, $50 worth of metal, and then leave? And this is, like, is this, like, a, the uh, the scene where we're like, and remember that time we walked in the park, <laughs> but it's like, we're, but it's like we're already, we've already filed for divorce or something? <laughs> oh, don't say that. Yeah. Anyway. So, so we got no CNN correspondence. Well, that's fine. I mean, I and the phone lines are crazy. I shut my my internet off because I didn't want to see anything that anyone was writing. Yeah. So here I am apologizing again for like the ninth time because it's what I see. Here we go. Here's the like the dynamic in action. If I'm apologizing again, that I didn't mean to. I if you feel like I just sort of ambushed you or threw you under the bus, I apologize because that wasn't what I wanted to do. But first of all, I just figured that like. I figured you were thinking about it, too, because usually we're on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. And for any number of reasons, and I'm not trying to say, and you're a blind drunk, which is why you don't remember. I'm not, because I don't want to be that guy either of like, and you're an alcoholic. I'm not, like, cause I, because people hear us on the radio and they hear us talk about what did you do. It's like people think that I sit at home in my boxer shorts and do nothing but eat mm-hmm. cheese whiz or whatever, which is, you know, which is a fair amount of my existence, but not all of it. So I know that because people hear you on the radio and they hear you talk about a certain yeah, like going out and facet of... Like- Seriously, I know that I think I get sensitive about that too sometimes because everyone's like, "Oh, look at Sarah," but I mean, my God, it, I don't go out all the time. I have you know many other things like my water aerobics, my bowling league. So I'm kind of stuff. yeah. So I I don't want you to feel like I'm not trying to be you know like you saying that you were like drunk and out of control or whatever. But but you know what? It's a Friday night. Beers had been uh, you know I I had had a few beers. Things happen. I get a little saucy, and especially. If I feel like I've been wronged in any way, appropriate or not. Thank God you don't feel like you've been wronged today. (laughs) I pity that poor bastard. No, but, like, I felt so bad for that, you know, this person who was, like, so excited to watch this band, and, like, I just yells at him from the get-go, and then I was just kind of like, you know, it, like, clicked in my head and whatever. Well, I know. And, I mean, I know know that you felt like the guy came out and the guy was, like, abusing the audience or whatever. (laughs) That's what I feel. I I feel like... um, that bands should always be grateful for their audience. And whenever I see anyone being unappreciative in any way, I just kind of, you know, 
for wrong or for right and probably just for wrong. It kind of always rubs me the wrong way, especially since I know like these people all paid like $25 a piece to see this, you know, see them play. Right. Well, in any event. But, but now we know we should talk about these things. And thank God it's President's Day, so maybe people are doing something else and they didn't hear her. This is our first big domestic on-air fight. Is it? I can't remember. It might be. No, usually they're secret between break fights. Well, because but see we don't but see we don't even do that. See that's the thing. Like we don't like we don't really have we, we don't have discussions. We don't have a lot of fights because we usually uh, usually we just have sort of discussions about things. But the thing we've learned over and over again on the show is there's some the weird tension or whatever. See that's that's the other that Sarah when you I feel um. <laughs> Like that—that that is my thing about last hour, and I—I I really am sincerely sorry if you felt like I was just sort of like coming well, out at you, you and like I were firing about it because, like, how we were on the air is usually how we are during the break because we actually had our discussion during the break, yeah. which we never do. It's always usually opposite because you and I—it it was just a very strange. Yeah, for those who didn't see it, like the both the breaks, like the twenty break and the fifty break, both it was like. It was like we said, back after this, and it's like we turned off the mic and, and we're like, immediately... I for a second. That scared the crap out of me. I'm like, this has never happened before. And I'm sitting there potting up. I'm like, oh, my God, what am, what's going on? What are we doing? And so we go into a break, and immediately there was this big, you know, whatever, like the dam broke or whatever. No, like and you walked through the door, and I'm like, is he going to leave the room? I didn't leave the room. Talk. No, you didn't. No, no, no. Much she... No. I'm very happy you didn't leave him, like, because I saw you walk over there. I'm like, is he going to leave the room? Are we not going to talk about this? Can we not talk about this? What's going on? What are going to do? I just... I do... I... But I do feel like that's a false accusation that I, when you say that I, that I was, you know, that, that I was passively bringing it up or addressing it on the air because we do that with everything. Yeah, and I, and honestly, Rick, honest to God, I didn't think that you'd been suing about it all weekend. I didn't know because you didn't tell me. Well, I, but that's, but, but I, I had no clue. But no that's clue. like you didn't tell Richie that he, you were irritated about him being a jackass at bowling. Why? Why do that in private when you can do it on the air? <laughs> this is true, but that's Richie. I mean, but, but I think you and I, but you and I have done that a million times where we come in and one of us is in a bad mood or one of us, or we're cranky, we're not getting along and it's always tense and we don't talk about it and then we finally address it on the air mm. and then what do we say every time? Why do we always forget? Well, that's a thing we, we should know by now that we always have to discuss it on the air. So, like, how was I to know that that was any different last hour? Mm. I mean, it seems, I'm just saying it seems a little double no, standard that I bring it up last hour and, like, I'm throwing you under the bus when that's what we always do. Always, 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 always. Yeah, I guess it just seems a little harsher than usual. Like, when I don't think it's ever been to that level before. I think it seemed harsher because, paradoxically, because I was trying not to be harsh. I think mm. it seemed harsh because I was trying to modulate it and do be very... That's like when you try to be really nice and then you end up being kind of a jerk. Because I Because I didn't want it to come out as, like... You know, uh, you know, and I've been irritated about it all weekend. Mm. And so I was trying to like, I was trying to like to narrow it down through this tiny. I was I was trying to be very careful about it, and it, you know, like to phrase it in exactly the right way, which I should always know that you that it just never it works for me. Horribly awry. Well, and the, that I I should have just said exactly how I was feeling about it, and mm. you know, and, and but it, in trying to be really nice, instead it just took longer, and it came out as overly forced and mannered, and probably ruder than it should have. And so it was the longer it was taking, like, oh, good lord. Yeah. So I feel like that we've discussed this sufficiently. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I do, because I don't want to start rehashing it again, because you and I are both strong of opinion, and I feel like we've come to a natural conclusion about it. We learned lessons. Lessons were learned. We stayed in the room together and talked about it. I don't know how you feel. We know now that 
we need to speak with each other beforehand if something's, you know, coming on and on, even though, like, we think it's the best thing to go on the air. But if we think that we're going to get highly emotional about something, we should probably talk about it before. I can hear, by the way, and just having known you for a long time, I can totally hear the tone in your voice, by the way. And the tone in your voice is the, like, Sarah has rebuilt herself and is back to normal <laughs> and is ready to no, move on. No, I just on. feel bad for the listeners because, like, because everyone's so depressed and it's, like, you know, such a horrible time right now. And, like, we're supposed to be bubbly and happy all the time. and. You know, Chip, you know, we're all just human. No, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying we have to. You know, I mean, we probably are. I have to become Sarah X Dylan again. <laughs> we are at a stopping point. I'm just saying, like, I can totally hear in your voice. You know what you? It's the producer, Sarah. <laughs> you have the moving on voice. You totally do have the like. I think it's from my mom. And we're done. Uh, sort of, sort of tone. So. All right. Why don't we take some calls and see what people? Th- I'm oh, scared. that'll be fun. I'm scared. Maybe Chris Paddock can come look in the uh, window again. Was that him? No, it was Bobby. Oh, maybe Bobby can. Bobby Fatboy. Yeah. Maybe he can come look in the window again. <laughs> Hello, you're Hi. on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's President's Day. How can I help you today? I just want to make sure that we're all friends again. No, we're friends. Sarah and I were never not friends. Yeah. Good because you know, Rick and Sarah argue. It makes baby Jesus cry. Yes. <laughs> yes, it makes baby. Uh, it makes baby Rick cry as well, sir. <laughs> Best show ever. All right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I'm so happy you kids patch things up. Thank you. It's a beautiful day. Hey, and I, I, well, the reason I called was I was calling to say that I'm coming down from a slight Vicodin buzz, and I'm no longer angry about Kessel Levine. Are you are you the guy or are I'm you the one guy. of the you the guy who emailed me last night and you I'm still pissed about Ketzel Levine I'm going to call and scream about it on Monday. Yeah, I woke up this morning wasn't angry anymore. All right, then. that's good. That's good. All right. Best show ever. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. How can I help you? Well, I thought I'd call and try to get you guys to laugh. I really liked that uh, interview with Avril Lavigne you did. Avril, no. I don't understand what we're talking oh, about here. Ketzel Levine? Ketzel Levine, Avril Have you ever heard of a, a, a local talk show guy around here named uh, a Jerry Dimmitt? Jerry Dimmitt, and he had a guy with him whose name was Pepe. You heard of him? He was great. But they always argued, and it was an act. They, uh, Jerry was like you, uh, Rick. He was a casual, good speaker, had an entertaining show, and Pepe worked on the side and managed the booth, and Jerry would stop and say, well, Pepe, what do you think? And uh, Pepe was like a slacker. And he would say, trying to, I don't have time for this right now. Can you please leave me alone? So they were always at each other's throats, but it was an act and it was really funny. You know, in my head, this is like a puppet show you're doing. (laughs) There's two good shows on television I call to talk to you about. One is the best show, I believe, on television today, and that's Reno 911. Uh Uh-huh. And the other one is one that I think is really Emmy nominee category. It's on Monday nights, and it's medium. From where are you calling, sir? Are you at a pet store? Oh, yeah, I do have. I'm not in a pet store, but I do have birds. And the show was Jerry and Pepe. <laughs> Jerry, damn it, it's been a while. They're, they're, the two guys that carried on the show yes. were fighting all the time, but it was an act, and it was funny. Yes. It's hilarious. With an onion on the belt. Medium. Okay. Do you like that show? I, you know, I haven't. Is that the one with Jennifer Love Hewitt? No, that's the Ghost Whisperer. No, that's no, the one with the Rosanna Arquette. Or Rosanna Arquette. No. She deserves an, an Emmy for her her acting. She's terrific. But the show deserves an, an Emmy because mm-hmm. it's one of the best shows I think on TV today. It's a fascinating show. All right, excellent. Uh, we have to move on, sir. But uh, <coughs> thank okay, you for your many observations. All right. Yeah. You, you know who he sounds like? Mm. <coughs> 
people who were great kind of dealt to yes, musicians, he does. old folks. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Well, we, uh, for those of us just joining the program, we are on pins and needles wanting to know exactly what happened with you and Sarah so we can be part of the reconciliation as well. Wait, are you asking for a recap? No. If you have a recap, we would love a recap. This is for still all not those. going in the recap. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say, you know, here the, the recap is that the recap is is that uh, Rick and Sarah, in this case, uh, Rick, uh, Rick and Sarah find tiny little things that irritate them, a stone in the shoe, and then they just dwell on them all weekend, as opposed to addressing them when they happen, uh, because Rick and Sarah don't really. Um, because Rick and Sarah are both uh, uncomfortable with some forms of personal interaction, and it makes us uneasy. And so as a result, everything gets done on the air, which is usually okay, except occasionally there is the combination of somebody with a small personal irritation that over the course of the weekend has become a huge infected personal irritation. There's the combination of that and the exact wrong moment to bring it up in the air because it's like that one in a thousand show when the other person really isn't comfortable discussing it on the show. But, of course, we don't know that because we haven't talked about it off the air, because we always talk about it on the show, except when we don't. So, there you go. And I think everything is more or less, I mean, we're still crazy, but we're still here. So, uh, we're more or less resolved at this point. Well, that that's good to hear. Uh, but for, you know, the sake of medical terminology and uh, knowledge, the pebble in the shoe has become an infection now. And are we looking at possibly a severed foot or toe? Uh, it was more of a, it was more of a, like a, what is that, a chancer, chanker, whatever one of those things is. Canker? Canker. There you go. Oh, All covered right. in them. All right, got, okay, bye. Mm, That's creepy. <laughs> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. It was a boil that has now been lanced. Yes, yes it is. Um, yeah, I, I picked up the show about 10 minutes ago. and A lot of fun, wasn't it? Were you glad you tuned in? You said to yourself, by God, I'm glad I listened to this show. I wish they did this every day. I fell into the middle of it, and I was thinking to myself, because you know how you're always saying that, you know, you have a wife at home, and then you have, you know, Sarah, sort of like your, um, you describe your relationship as like a, a, a workplace marriage or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard when I when I picked up the show. I was like, mm-hmm, yes. Uh, but what I really wanted to call about was um, good old Ketzel. Uh, did you get a lot of feedback on that over the weekend? You have no idea. You have really? no... And plus, we should also say, that's another thing, is that I think we were both coming off a Friday that was just... A frazzled Friday. I know you... If I can say this. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I can say this. Uh, you were... Uh, I think uh, it is fair to say that Sarah, by the way, on Friday night was also still unbelievably unhappy about the Ketzel Levine thing. I... I, it bothered me all weekend. <sighs> I mean, just infuriated. there were some yeah statements she, made to the effect. She of, was so nice, but I hate it. It, it frustrates me. Like, once again, it's the audience thing. I'm always thinking about, like, how that guy made me mad because... Me, connection. All right, because I thought that maybe Ketzel was talking down to her audience, and that made me really upset because, it, like, you know, her saying, like, what kind of people listen to your show? And right. No, she was kind of passively insulting So that's why, so I'm, I'm like, I love her audience. I love the people who listen to us. And then maybe that's why I was so um, mad at the Better Twins guy being rude to the audience right. because I'm like, well, who does he think he is? Kessel Levine? There was a moment, like, 20 minutes into the show where they played this, this thing called Resurrection Song, and they played it, and I guess there were some girls up front that weren't listening or were talking or whatever. And so, what's his name, Greg Dooley, I think, he, he had this whole, he did this whole, like, lecture where he's like, that was a beautiful effing song, and you didn't hear any of it because you're having your own stupid goddamn conversation over there. 
you know, so just, you know, shut the F up or whatever. And then maybe I'm making it bigger than it was. But he but he did this, like, mini lecture, like, literally, like, not to the crowd. Like, sometimes you'll hear people go, like, hey, you people in the back, shut your shut your holes or whatever. But, like, he literally, like, literally, like, pointed at some people and were like, you right there, like, you, you know, you are a jackass and you missed a song, shut your mouth and whatever. And which... Was I mean whether he felt it was called for or not I don't know I didn't hear maybe it was maybe it wasn't I'm, I I didn't hear whoever he was addressing but I but it did, it was like literally talking both it was talking both figuratively and literally down to and at the audience I mean lecturing the audience and you're listening to it for twenty five dollars that's the thing and I mean and you know and I, and I you know and it, it's not like Sarah was so hot on the band to begin with I mean sort of indifferent to them I guess. So it's like if it's a blank slate and the first thing you hear is the guy like twice in 20 minutes lecturing the audience about something. And if you already are coming off a day where you felt like somebody came on and was insulting an audience for 20 minutes, you know, and, and plus it's just been a I mean, I almost feel like I don't even have any right to say this because it's like we're one of a billion. But you know what? It's been a long freaking couple of months. Couple months. And I, and I, and, you know, and so maybe I'm just, maybe I'm only speaking for me. Maybe I'm not speaking well, for anybody else. we've been else. a two-legged stool for, like, you know, two months. And I, and I, you know, and I, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like you and I have been on edge for, at, about each other, or at least near each other, for a while. And maybe that's just me. Maybe, I, maybe that's wrong. No, uh, we, I still, I still just don't think, like, you know, we're, we have what we have, and we still don't really know what the hell we're going to do. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not that, I mean, the show's been really good, don't get me wrong, it's not like Sarah and I are, at least I'm not, they're secretly hiding some seething resentment or whatever, I don't think that's the case, but I do feel like, I do feel like the last, for however, probably since the Tim thing, to mm-hmm. be honest, I feel like we are, I don't mean for this to sound the way it sounds, I just don't know any other way to put it, I feel like we're, every day we're kind of on, I feel like we're on thin ice every day, and by that, here's what I mean by that, I don't mean like in terms of like an irreparable breach and whatever, but I feel like every day goes well, but I always feel like every day... We're on thin ice in the sense that if we if we take a, if we take the wrong step, we're on the brink of things going real bad and fighting or or getting pissy or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean the whole country's like that, you know. And, and it certainly right. does trickle back to your industry and everybody everybody in radio. I think right now is is you know taking shallow breaths, you know, just trying to make it through this period that we're all part of. And uh, you know, it's uh, I mean we all feel it, you know, out here in the listening audience and. Um, uh, I think it's maybe natural that uh, we hear it coming out of uh, coming from you folks because uh, you you know radio radio is an inherently uh, unstable period and yeah. in an unstable period of the market um, you know everybody's just like I say every, nobody can really take a deep breath everybody's just gonna, you know just kind of hanging on and waiting well that's like, totally and I think that's the other thing and again I you you nail it when he says the whole country but I, and I so I don't. Like everyone else, so our brand of problem is no better than anybody else's. But but I do feel like there hasn't been. I don't think anybody's gotten a chance to stop, even over the holidays. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think like anybody, especially over the holidays, it's supposed to be like a nice relaxing time, and it was just stressful for everyone. Firings, and I don't have any money, and people had, you know, people getting fired before Christmas, and you know, you the news stories of like, you know, Johnny will get no toys this year, and then you know, and then the stupid weather, and the whatever, all this stuff. I don't feel like any of us anywhere in this stupid freaking country have had. Time to sit for like ten days and just feel good about everything. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, we have jobs better than most people have. I'm, 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 you know, we we are some of the luckiest people in the world. We have the best jobs ever, and I'm not saying we don't. I mean, there's a guy right out there who's unemployed or working at like some steel, you know, piling factory who who doesn't want to be at work. We have great jobs. That being said, I don't feel like any of us have had 
a week or two weeks or God forbid even longer where you can just sit and just feel all right about everything. And I think, and I think I can't speak for anybody else, and I certainly don't want to speak for Sarah, but I think that that has made, I think that has had, I think that has had a, and it probably is having and will continue to have to some degree a cumulatively crazy effect on me. And I think the show is okay. And I think the show is more than okay. I think the show is sounding really good. And oh. and I but I and I think the show is sounding better than it has any right to, given everything that happened. Well, uh, but I feel like we're on the uh, every day. Just I, I feel like we're it, it's just the, the crazy is just always right outside my periphery. You know, my peripheral vision these days. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. Well, you know, if I could jump back to Ketzel before I go, um, <laughs> please do. Because you know, this weekend we all, for, you know, whatever reason, I mean, you know. I'm an NPR fan, you know. I listen to it. I listen to your show. I listen to a bunch of other things. Um, and um, hearing her come off that way, uh, you know, she was talking about how she's having a hard time. Uh, you know, she can't really listen to NPR because it, it feels tainted. And it's kind of what she did to me, I think. I was kind of like, well, if she's that way, you know. Um, and, you know, honestly, I get the feeling after the show was over, you know, I was annoyed while I was listening to her. But then after the show, I got the feeling that what her agenda was, was uh, she really wanted uh, I think she came on thinking that it was going to be a 15, 20-minute platform for her to just sit there and espouse all about her feelings and her life and stuff. And I think she was making all those um um, snarky attacks on right. you and on the audience because she could, she wasn't able to get to where it was that she wanted to be. You know, she wanted it to be 15, 20 minutes of the Ketzel Levine right. show, and she was frustrated by it. Um, and I understand that, but at the same time, um, just beating up on the audience and the and this the whole format. You know, I mean, I don't think she really understood. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it was malicious. I think it was a misfit. I just don't think she knew. It was just the it was just awkward in the very in you know it was an awkward fit in like the truest sense of the word so right well I mean but your show is listened to by I mean you've said several times your show is listened to you're very popular with other people in the media yeah no it's yeah. it's true um, anyway. anyway I hate to cut it short we got we got yeah. to kind of roll here poor Todd Tulsa is here <laughs> sitting in the kitchen hearing my mental breakdown all right thank you guys. thank Have you sir thank you uh, we'll do one more and then we'll break hi you're on the Rick Emerson show Rick. hello it's so clear that the two of you love each other very much because of you know, all the work you put into to, to working out your differences. So that's what really comes through to me over the phone, I mean, over the radio. And also, um, there is one dynamic that I hear that might be more constructive to address, which is the um, when you say, when you apologize, you say, if you if you uh, took it this way or that way and you feel this way, I, I apologize for that. Instead of rather just saying, I apologize for making you feel this way or I apologize for that which I did. It's kind of a difference when you say, if you feel this way, I, I apologize about that. Well, that's true, and that's part of my stupid thing of not wanting to give it, you know, not give, want to give anything away, and I, you know, you, it, you know, it's a thing where you don't want to give up any like emotional yeah. real estate, right? You know, exactly. you want to be able to, you want to be able to apologize without actually having to like give, give anything up or, or having to like, you, uh, hey, Viso, thank you, Richard. Viso, uh, Eric, oh. the Benning guy. He's trying to, uh, he's trying to. I thought you liked Dynamo. He's going to medicate you out of your problem. All right. Well, well, it's definitely so. I mean, I recognize that in so many interpersonal dynamics with myself is that, you know, if you, if I said this and you felt that way, I'm sorry, but it's like, you know. Well, and it's again, it's the thing of like, you don't want to give up any emotional, like, high ground. You want to, you want to be able to apologize without, like, opening yourself up to mm-hmm. anything, which is why I don't like to go, which is why I don't want to say, you know, it was really, it was rude of me to shush you. I should have found some other way. So, yeah, I do the pass, and that is a passive thing that I think everybody does, and I did it probably last hour where I said, 
you know, if you if you took it as me being rude, that I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, which is, you know, whatever. Which I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter. I guess it doesn't matter what 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 anybody's intentions were. It just, well, you know, I shouldn't have done it. I should have found whatever whatever the situation was before it or after it, and whether however true it was or however much it, I thought that it was true, you know, I I should have I should have found some other way to do it. So I. So I apologize for shushing you because I should have found a different way to do that. And I apologize for being mouthy. You guys love each other so much. That that's where all the friction came from is because you do care so much for the relationship. All right. I'll see you guys. All right. Bye. Awkward. <laughs> so, all right. Well, there you go. So that's an hour and a half of the show gone. You know, I... I, I think, I, need, I, I, think I can cancel my therapist appointment this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's that going for you, by the way? Oh, Splendid. All right. Well, poor Todd has been sitting in the kitchen for, like, forever. Oh, I'm sure, you know, just like everybody, I'm sure he knows the frustration of the way things are right now. And I don't think, yeah, and, like, when you say that you have felt, you know, underlying stress and stuff, I think that's everybody. I think everyone's just clamoring for some kind of hope, and, you know, every day they go to work hoping that they'll still have their job. I mean, I think that's everybody, regardless of what they're doing. Yeah, and I, you know, and and so, yes. Well, that was fun. All right. Well, you gave you me a hilarious monkey watch for today. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. All right. Uh, Let's drink our viso and mentally. High. We're gonna drink our. Uh, we're gonna drink our pain away with viso. More of everything good. Uh, all right. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. It's a bastion of crazy. It's AM nine seventy the talker. Stay there. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show continues next, ladies and gentlemen. like emails like this one all day. Rick, I was in a meeting from 11 to 11.45. I missed all the action. Please to replay the first hour. Sounds like you've got some best of material there. Oh, yeah, that shall never be being heard again. No, it lives on forever in podcast form, Sarah. All right. And this is all true. All right, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You should know that Sarah and I actually physically hugged during the break. We did. So that's our hug for the year. (laughs) We're all taking care of. Hello, Todd Tulsis. Hello, Rick Emerson. How are you? Oh, let's not even talk about how I am. How are you? (laughs) Okay. It should be noted. I got hugged before you did. So by by the lovely Sarah X. Dillon. Todd and I didn't hug. We shook hands uh, as men do. We're manly men. Well, because I felt like such a jackass because of the, hey, it's a a holiday. Do you want to come in and do, do you want to come in and sit in the kitchen for 30 minutes? That'd be great, Todd. If you could do that. In fact, don't even do anything. Could you come in and sit here and uh, waste your valuable time listening to our mental breakdown and then leave? Great. That'd be wonderful, Todd. Well, that's okay. I'm unemployed. I've got plenty of time. <sighs> See? Now I feel like I'm not only abusing your time, I'm abusing the time of an unemployed guy. Oh. oh but he does Jesus. have the voice of a god. Oh, god. Yes. Yes, he does. All right, Todd tells us. Well, thank you for coming in today. I'm, uh... That's a pleasure. God, Sorry, you're making, we, uh, you know, it's whittling much away your life. Nothing, you know? <laughs> But I'll tell you, I did feel like coming in here going, oh, is this a bad time? Should I uh, <laughs> should I come back later? Or, uh, you know, is it, uh, is it something I said, you know? Uh, all right. <laughs> well, um, we should play some of your California Raisin stuff later to get everybody. I don't cheer everybody up. And I, uh, and I, but, yeah, we were talking during the break, by the way, and just noted that uh, maybe this is not the day to do like a hundred depressing stories like right out of the gate. <laughs> so if you've got anything amusing over there or it involves like, 
and it, like a guy's hand getting caught in a blender or maybe uh, something having to do with a monkey or penis or something. You just let us know. And, and we will, I see these phone calls. We will get phone calls because we can't not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, uh, you know, I had this whole, and one of the many things we didn't get to in the last 90 minutes of like, hey, hey, I'm nutty, uh, was the, the, kind of a full breakdown analysis of the Ketzel Levine thing on Friday about which I'm still getting email and we're still getting phone calls. And I don't know what Sarah's email is like, but I do have to say that mine is running about 50-50 right now, which is like, to me, I mm-hmm. almost feel like we have to have her back just because of that. Because there's no, like, unanimity well, of opinion. If she's listened to the show, like if she gets it a little bit more, because I don't want to have to describe what it's about again. Well, I Never don't, be. But it's like, I don't even know if that would help. Like, it's I don't know that she's going to get it. Like, having worked at NPR for 32 years, I just don't know that. I just, I, at this point, like, I think she is so entrenched in that NPR way of thinking, which I don't say is an insult, but I just, I just don't know, I don't know that this show can be gotten, uh, by, by Ketzel Levine at this point, just because it's just, she's just, it's a foreign, it's just such a foreign, well, like, I do get the feeling that the only time she'd heard it was on the drive in mm-hmm. on Friday and then sitting in the kitchen. She has been living in, like, a different country for 30 years and you can't yeah. sure to get it after one day. So I think with anything that causes such division, I think that, like, we have to, if she'll come back, I would, she may not, who knows? I mean, she was, I'd love to come back, but, I mean, that may have just been a lie. So, I think we almost have to do it if she, if she'll come back, if she wants to, because, because it was, the audience is running, like, 50-50 on it, and I think anytime something is that divisive, like, you, you kind of, we can't not do it, so. All right, enough of my, uh, enough of my jabber-jawing. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start the news hour, for the love of God. And Jesus. now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Like I said earlier, this is a hard act to follow. I, you know, but you know, I don't have any stories that can compete with, you know, this sort of drama, this sort of pathos, this sort of, this sort of maniacal stuff. I don't have any world headlines that just drip with the importance. I don't have any local headlines that are just seething with immediacy. All I have is stuff like terrified Beaverton pair are on the phone with nine one one during a burglary. Did you hear about this? This sounds like a real pick-me-up. I thought we had a talk. That's great. <laughs> a couple of guys are arrested Sunday morning when they broke into the wrong house, apparently, where they were looking for money and dope. That's okay. Beaverton police caught two out of three of them. So we're not going to play the terrifying 911. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you. Thanks Although so we can reenact it if you like. Please don't. Okay. Meanwhile, across the border in Vancouver, a driver plowed into a bus shelter on Sunday afternoon. Nobody hurt. Walter Tessier was charged with one of the pettiest of... Petty larceny accounts uh, in January as uh, sheriff's deputies in Amsterdam, New York, said he tried to defraud a price chopper store. Now, this is a great story, and I think you're going to get a laugh out of this one. <laughs> Mr. Tessier had purchased a $10.99 lobster but returned it, claiming that uh, the lobster turned bad. So the store allowed him some crab meat in exchange. Then employees discovered that the lobster he returned was only empty, a carefully, carefully reconstructed shell that made it appear whole. He had eaten the entire lobster and then put it back together again with some tape and glue. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, and Mr. Tessier ran from the store, but was arrested later at his home where he had just finished the crab meat that he was given. By the way, I have to say this about lobster. Uh, I was I don't really have things to say about lobster most of the time, except that I was watching Anthony Bourdain the other day, and he was doing this thing at the uh, it was like at the Jersey Shore. And he was down, you know, like went to Asbury Park and all those places. And there was some, I don't know, there's some seafood place that still exists in the Jersey Shore that he's a big fan of. And they bring him out the whole lobster and he eats it. And it's not like I have some problem with eating animals. I mean, you know, that's, that, that is why the good Lord made them to be tasty. I mean, they're, they're here to be eaten and worn. That's just a fact. But he was like, but he finished the lobster. And I have to tell you, I mean, I, you, you bring it to me where I can, lobster is one of the only uh, animals where I would say that I, it really, I only want to eat it if I can't remember what it looks like. You know what I mean? Because it's a big insect. It's like eating a big scorpion. I cannot eat anything that you have to peel the shell off of. 
I, I mean, I can eat it after it's already been deshelled. I cannot. A shrimp? I yeah, I can't. Um, or like crawdad or anything like Ugh. that. Like lobster or, or crab, like ripping its shell off. I can't. I cannot do that. So now, we were it. talking about Australia last time I was here on on Monday. First of all, with regards to your uh, assertion, Mr. Emerson, uh, in Australia, uh, crawdads are called bugs. And quite a delicacy called they're called Morton Bay bugs, yeah. and they're like very tiny lobsters. Well, it's like you wouldn't eat a giant ant or but something. I mean, bugs. I wouldn't. Yeah, right. I they're mean, call bugs. They're not really bugs, you know, but they're call bugs. And with regards to uh, Ms. Dillon, mm. um, in Australia, most of the shrimp that is served is served with its armor on. Mm. So normally you go to a party. There's like a you know a pot of red sauce that you stick your already peeled shrimp into and then take a nice bite out of and toss the tail hopefully someplace where no one will step on it um in australia most of the armor and the eyes and the and the tentacles and the uh you know the the, the body armor that the shrimp normally wears that's usually left on yeah. so you got to peel all this stuff off you no. probably that's not no, a no, no. oh i yeah i've gone to like fancy breakfast at um what's that fancy place off of 205 salties so anyway, no they idea. have like the, these all you can eat breakfast, you know, for like 25 bucks. You get like all the mimosas you can have, and they have all this like fresh seafood and stuff. And they have <laughs> piles of crawdad, and like my friends will eat piles them, like, of crawdad. And they'll suck out their heads. Ugh. And like, oh, it's the grossest <laughs> thing. It is so gross. And then their little corpses are laying there on the. They're little the corpses? So, well, they're little Well, because they're like big, go- they're not big, but they got those like googly black eyes still. Yep. You know what they, I mean? Like do. when they, it's like with uh, the same thing with lobster. They do. And I mean, as I, and I've, I've said this before, but you know, if a lobster was like an inch long and you saw it on your bed your bed spread at night i mean you'd pee yourself i mean that's oh, a yeah. you know that's a it's a, the only reason that a lobster isn't terrifying is because it's huge so and that's like the thing with crab too like i just can't i can't get with that so i don't know anyway you know, so the I, idea of reconstructing a lobster by the way is creepy to me as well reconstructing a lobster is like that thing in, in the texas chainsaw massacre where leatherface is like made a chair out of somebody's femurs or whatever i just don't <laughs> I can't. And again, it's not like, and I'm and I'm a total hypocrite about that because I'll eat that stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys who just, you know, like Ted Nugent always says the thing about you gotta you gotta kill it before you can grill it. And, you know, it's like I I have no illusions about from where animals come. It's not like I have some, and it's not like it's a like some PETA thing where I don't want to see a lobster because I don't want to be reminded that I'm killing something. I have no problem. You know, creatures get killed all the time. That's just the way of existence. Yeah, it is. It's just. Like, visually off-putting. I just find it difficult to, uh... Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I could never eat just because of the way it looks. Like, here, I gotta tell you this. I don't care how good... I mean, and first of all, I don't like calamari. Like, it's not a, it's not a thing. Calamari is like eating a plunger. <laughs> calamari is like... Seriously. I love calamari. See, but it's all rubbery. See, it's like... No, I'm it, with you, I can't eat the little... When, they're, when there's a little, like, octopi, like little squids. Yeah. When their heads... I can't do that. I can eat the rubber bands, but that's about no, it. No, I can't. Cindy no, I, goes to the, uh, you know, the sushi joint and orders up that fried, lo- uh, fried uh, calamari and... Uh, I just, uh, like eating a bowl of plumber's helpers. Exactly. I just Shredded can't... tires. It, there's, a, there's a movie called Old Boy, uh, which some of the uh, geeks and they ought to be familiar with it. Old Boy is, um, it's impossible to describe. Old Boy is like this really, really warped, insane revenge film. And it was, I think it was actually, I think it was part of a trilogy or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But there's this notorious film called Old Boy, which is being made into into an American film, which will undoubtedly suck. But there's this sequence in Old Boy, which I think is, I do believe is a, um, I'm doing that horrible American thing. I'm confusing my Asian countries. It's from an Asian country. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't know which one. I'm not going to. I think it's Japan. I don't know. But there's this notorious sequence in Old Boy where the, the the protagonist, who has been locked up for years and is crazy, he gets out. He's nutty. He's he's a lunatic, and he goes into a seafood restaurant, and they bring him 
a live octopus and they set it on the and it's like an octopus it's like the you know it's where like the whatever the body of the octopus is about the size of the palm of your hand and then the tentacles are maybe like six inches long Ugh. and so it's oh, like yeah. you can hold the whole thing you know it's about the size of a dinner plate spread out and they bring him a live octopus and this is in the film and he just eats the live octopus on camera and it's in like a movie it's not a documentary it's like a, it's a film it's a, it's a, it's this sort of action film an action film. You know, I mean, you know it, but it's... The, that is messed up. And it's this, I mean, it's a brilliant film, it really is, but it's notorious because of this... And, of course, because they, they don't have laws, I think. You know, they don't have, like, animal cruelty laws the way we have them here, where you can't... Like, in America, Frank Darabont, uh, who did Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, will tell you these are where literally... There's that sequence in uh, The Shawshank Redemption where, what's his name, Brooks has the little bird that lives in his pocket and yeah. he feeds it maggots. And on Shawshank Redemption, there was somebody from the ASPCA that was there. They had to find maggots that were already dead to feed the bird on camera. They couldn't feed the bird a live maggot because you're not allowed to kill an animal of any kind making a film. So that's in America. In Asia, different different, different thing altogether. Because they set the, the octopus down at the plate in front of the guy, and he just picks it up, and it's like an unbroken shot to so like the camera never oh no it, and it's like the real deal i mean it's it's they've said that it's the but it's like but they don't even look you like you don't even get to look away he sits down he's like well i will have this squid now what does he start with does he get up the head uh i do believe he eats the body first but then i'm not trying to gross everybody out but it's just i don't want this to be i'm not the only one who has this image in his head and now you all will have it too where he's eating and at one point of course just like the waving tentacles are sticking out of his mouth it's so gross that is the worst it's, thing it's the worst thing I've ever seen, and oh. it's a great movie, but boy, it's just such an awful thing to watch. This is I mean, Chuck Palahniuk book. I think it might be Lullaby. I'm not sure where it has this detailed sequence of how to properly eat a lobster. Did you ever read this book? I read Lullaby, but I don't remember that. Lullaby or... I can't remember which one it is, but it's this detailed thing, and he's talking about how, like which parts of the lobster to like take apart uh, first. And I eat. think that is lullaby. And then, and then the last line of it, he's like, it, I, "Oh I, no, 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 I no, no. completely disassembled the lobster, lobster until I realized its heart was still beating." It's in Survivor because he's talking about that's one of the skills he learns to to take care of the uh, the rich couple. That's he's talking about, yeah. And then the lobster's heart was still beating. I had to set down the book. No, I, no, like, that is like he was taking it apart and eating little pieces yeah. of it as it, it says lobster slowly being eaten alive. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's not good. Uh, so if you want to avoid seeing a guy eat a squid alive, uh, don't watch the movie, old boy. It's uh, it's unsettling. Were we supposed to come up with a couple of stories that brought people's spirits up a little bit this, <laughs> this morning? Or I guess we failed did, to do did, that. Did I miss that memo? <laughs> Is it lost here in my papers somewhere? Uh, I'm so sorry, uh, Todd. I can't find it now. I owe apologies to whole studio. Oh, you've been working on your Japanese mobster. That's the only thing I can do. My only, the only voice I can do like that is where it, it it just starts off and then it escalates in tone and speed and then it ends as like a gravelly shout, and that is just because of the movie Gung Ho with Michael Keaton and Getty Watanabe, where he goes, "Hey, got a lot of ribbons there," and he goes, "Those are ribbons of shame." And everything I do in an Asian voice, please forgive me, is based on that. Oh, man. Well, we're going to have to work on that a little bit. I brought another video game audition for you today. Really? For you and me to work on. So this is Todd Tulsis who auditions for uh, video games uh, because you are a master of voices. Uh, well, I'm not about master of voices, but I'm taking a swing at it. So I, I brought the script, and the, the two of us can you know maybe do it later or something. We'll, we'll have some fun with it. Excellent. <laughs> okay. How uh, how bad on a scale of one to ten, Todd? How bad uh, do you feel that you now are responsible for lifting the mood of the entire studio? Oh, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Atlas has got nothing on this boy. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry. Meanwhile, I'm prepared. Todd always comes in and he's like all prepared and like has smooth and enough. professional. 
I'm just trying to iron out a few kinks in the, uh, a few wrinkles in the sleeves here. That's all, you know. Well, let me ask you this, Sarah. Were you, maybe I'm alone here, were you, um, as all of the whatnot was happening, as all the unpleasantness was taking place, were you in your head going through the list of, of show friends and guests who might have been in the studio while that was happening and how they would have reacted. I was going through the list of, oh, my God, who's listening to this. Oh, see, I've just, I so long ago gave up on even trying to figure that out or care. I mean, because you just can't care, right? That's like if you, because then I would just never get anything done if I started to think about everybody who was listening. That's you know? true. So, Truthfully, I that's was... why I had to just shut my email. I'm just like, you know what, I'm closing out of my work email. I'm closing out my personal email. I'm like, just don't want to see what anyone's saying because I don't want to be distracted from this right now. Uh, truthfully, I was thinking about, oh, great, I've probably got another five minutes now to write some more stuff. So, uh, <laughs> By the way, a few more news stories. Somebody says, hey, Rick, uh, will you please have the artist behind the white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel and oscillating fan remix the first hour of your show? Perfect for the awkward dancers. Best show ever, except for, you know. You know. Thank you. <laughs> All right, here's uh, Todd Tulsa's, ladies and gentlemen. Forbes magazine reported in December that state authorities were investigating a Beverly Hills, California plastic surgeon, Alan Bittner, over his claim that he had created diesel fuel for he and his girlfriend's SUVs out of liposuction fat from his patients. Uh, California okay. law is said to prohibit using medical waste for such a purpose, but Bittner's claim came to light in a patient's lawsuit over liposuction treatment, quoting Bittner as bragging about the biodiesel stuff. Bittner wrote on one webpage, it's no longer online, uh, but he did write on one webpage, the vast majority of my patients request that I use their fat for fuel, and I have more fat than I can use. Meanwhile, I just don't even, I don't even know how to address some of these things today. <laughs> I know, you're saying, where do I get these things? I just don't, I just don't know, because now I'm, uh, thinking we just came off a Pollock thing, and now I want to make another Fight Club reference, but probably too soon. <laughs> Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, hello. <laughs> Uh, hey, Rick. Because I'm just picturing, here's the, just real quickly, here's the thing I was going to say, but I didn't. You are talking about liposuction to make diesel fuel or yeah. whatever? Yeah. And so I was just picturing a whole thing. I was just picturing like some family guy thing where it was like it just Peter with like a huge hose in his ass or something and just trying, I don't know, this is, they said this would work, and it, but it's like hooked up to like a Toyota Celica or something. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I help you today? Oh, you know, I just wanted to send you to uh, some mental hugs. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. I appreciate no, that. And, uh, you know, Sarah, you, you had said something that uh, that I think rings true for the listeners of your show, which is, you know what, you two are just, you're human. And, and you, you, you know, really just kind of be yourselves on the show. And I think that that is, you know, some of the loyalty that, that you develop with your listeners because, you know, somebody, for myself, you know, speaking only for myself, I mean, there's, there's times that I, I listen to you guys. And and it makes sense to me, and and you know, there's just that 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 thread of truth that you know I can hold on to and say, you know what, I can completely identify with you guys. Well, I Sarah and I actually had a conversation about this the other day. Uh, one of my, and by the way, not we won't revisit the whole thing because you know why, but um, right, I, I should say, actually, to be fair. I won't even say we. I should have probably seen this coming uh, because, like, I think in my own head there have been. Uh, there have been cracks forming in the ice inside my head for, for a few weeks now. I think just every, for the past few weeks, I think every day, I don't know what those things are called. They're not aftershocks. No, but we had, and honestly, now that I think about it, we had a talk last week, too. Yes. That's it was like a half an hour talk. You're talking, and you're thinking of exactly, yep. and it was actually as you were on the way to see your shrink. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn, we're stupid and crazy. Oh, oh I'm, a, I'm at peace with it. <laughs> I, I really too. Am. I, but occasionally, don't you just step back and go, "Wow, nuts." Maybe you don't. I do. Uh, but um, 
But no, you and I had this conversation uh, actually that that day last week. I know you were talking about exactly the same conversation, and it was one of those things where I, I guess in retrospect I, I should have sort of seen that I was kind of heading for some sort of a weird blow up or whatever. But um, and you and I were talking about, and again, it, it just and and I'm just to 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 say this, I I should have actually addressed this then. I actually should have in that conversation. I actually should have said. Like, let's go out and, and get some coffee or go go out and talk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I think I actually felt like something like this was coming. And th- that probably does indicate that it was largely, if not entirely, in my head or at least the way I'm viewing things. So I should have sensed that about myself anyway. But, you know, at the time, I think you and I had this conversation where I was nibbling around the edges of it. And I just didn't – I wasn't brave enough to come and say, like, I feel like we're, you know, heading towards a thing. But you said, well, does everybody kind of go through this? Like, is this the radio show's – you know, go go through this, and 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 Todd has probably worked. You've probably worked with and around and on shows where they people didn't get along, or they they not that Sarah and I don't get along, but you know what I mean. You felt that the tension, where you can sense it on the in the air. There's friction, absolutely. And um, but Sarah said, you know, do do does every show go through this? And I said, well, some do and some don't. But I did say, and I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody else. I'm not. That's not where this is coming from. But we do a different kind of radio than some other people do. And just because of the fact that we're talking for four hours every day. You can't do four hours every day and, and just be putting up some completely fake shell all the time. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work. It doesn't work over the long time. So, you know, over a long enough period of time, you eventually have no choice but to just sort of be yourself at least a good share of the time. And when you do that, when you have that personal investment in the show, it just – it's better radio. But, of course, it also just raises the risks that it, you, you know that you will have – some sort of a, an, an argument or whatever that comes with having those. Well, there's a vulnerability, too, because if you're putting yourself out there, then everyone has an opinion, and then people start writing to you, and they're just like, well, you sound like you're crazy, or you, you know, are doing this and that. And it's totally. Just like, and that's that's kind of a stressful thing in and of itself. Right, because you can't hide behind just like, you know, and now the new James Blunt, you know, or whatever. It's just you can't do it. So, all right. Hello, Todd. Hello, Rick Emerson. Oh, I'm sorry. The caller's still there. Hello, oh, caller. Yeah, and all I just wanted to say is then, <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for being genuine. Love you guys. Thank you, sir. Love you, too. All right. Crazy. Uh, hello, Todd Tulsis on KCMD Portland. Oh, hello, Rick Emerson. Multnomah County's in fiscal trouble. Worse than neighboring counties because they serve more people and provide more services to the county residents. In an unprecedented move, unionized county workers have been asked what they'd give up, what concessions they'd make to hold on to their jobs. County Chairman Ted Wheeler won't say exactly how many workers might be laid off, but... Union officials say they've done the math. It could be as many as four to five hundred Multnomah County workers. So, the, but I mean, but are they giving them? You said they're giving them the option of what to do to keep the gig. There was I'm a on... meeting uh, over the weekend, and uh, union workers were asked or are being asked, what concessions would you give up to hold on to your jobs, or the county may have to shed them uh. without any uh, debate over what concessions they would give up. So this isn't the county actually asking, at least not actively. It is Correct. maybe passively asking. No, the but, union is asking its own people, Jesus. what do you think we can give up to hold on to our job? I mean, what kind of... I, what kind of economy is this? Seriously, what kind of effing world is this, man? Look, uh, how much would you... But it's like, you know what it is? It's, it's, like, it's like a reverse infomercial. How much would you give up to get this job? Wait, right. don't, you know, don't answer yet. You might also get limited dental. Right. You might also get completely inadequate medical coverage. Right. I mean, that's just, that's, a, that's like an awful reverse auction. Right. It's like, uh, you know, the ads for the Morgan Silver Dollar. Yes, this Morgan Silver Dollar has been in the vaults, you know, behind the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, uh, restroom shack, you know, for 400 years. But with this announcement, we'll give you 
A half a Morgan dollar. That's right, a half a Morgan dollar. Well, Not I, worth anything, but it's better than nothing. I mean, I guess I guess they're being asked, at least, which is more than having in California. I think in California, didn't Schwarzenegger just say, like, and I am cutting your hours every week, and you will get a pay cut, and you will have hours frozen, and you will not be able to leave your home. And... I heard an interview with the controller, you know, the state controller of California just yesterday. He is uh, basically saying, we've got 100 bucks worth of builds, and we've got 60 bucks in our wallet. Yeah, I mean... You know, and it's, uh, you always hear the thing about, well, you know, government jobs can't be can't be eliminated. They can't be reduced. If you've got a government job, it's for life. And, I mean, I don't even think that's the case anymore. Not I mean, anymore. I, well, you know, I hear that they're layoff, talking about layoffs at the post office. Yeah. And I guess they've already – I don't think they've ever had layoff. well, see, I, I'm just talking out of my ass. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about there. But I, I don't ever think they've had big layoffs at the post office. I think they've had maybe some, and they've had, I think, slowdowns in hiring over the years. Right. But they're talking about, like, actually sacking a lot of people at the post office, which you would never, like, even a year ago would have seemed insane, even and after they, the Internet. And they've also talked about going to a five-day-a-week delivery system that is eliminating um, deliveries on Saturday. So you would only get your mail Monday through Friday, which means you'd only get five days of junk mail instead of six. <laughs> Did you read that thing in the Oregonian today the that they're talking about cutting back, they're eliminating a bunch of bus routes? It's like 13 different bus routes. Are you kidding? No. After they've already jacked up all the prices. No. Well, what's the point of paying more if you can't get less for your money, Sarah? So they're talking about eliminating or cutting back 13 bus routes and cutting back on light rail service. So the max and the buses, some of those bus lines should be gone. Now, to so, be fair, they're starting at the periphery, the they, perimeter. But right, I mean, and they are, you know, they are considering the lines that have, uh, you know, little or, or very little ridership on them. Those are the ones they're targeting. Obviously, they're not uh, looking at the most traveled lines. Those are their money makers. Yeah. Mm. If you want to call the money makers. All right, let's do one more here, and then we'll take a break and get caught up and uh, go back and give Todd Tulsa the forum that he actually deserves. It's close <laughs> to the forum he got today. The, uh, today is President's Day. Most federal offices, banks, and uh, post offices are closed today, of course. And a survey of, uh, of 65 historians has put Abraham Lincoln as the number one best president ever, followed by, according to these gentlemen, George Washington, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, Harry Truman, and Thomas Jefferson. George W. Bush was ranked 36th out of 42. Who was last? Wait, Grant. Oh, you mean who down was, the list? Who was I, think, that? I think Buchanan was voted the worst. All right. I always Here's the thing. I know so little about, about American history. I really just am an idiot and an ugly American in, in many ways. So I know just enough to make jokes, basically. <laughs> um, and so the thing about Grant is just like I know he was a lush, and so there you go. I go right to him. And he was worst, which is a thing that – that's a fact that you learn in school and you hold on to it because – as you as you grow to, as you grow from like a little dilettante into a full grown dilettante, you can then pretend to have knowledge you don't really have. Because then when someone says by the president, you go, yeah, how about that Grant? He was a drunk. And then if they don't press any further, it looks like you know American history. Yeah. But if they were to lean on it at all, it becomes like this Blazing Saddles uh, town where it just, <laughs> it just collapses. And that's my thing. <laughs> so. And Richard Nixon was further down the list than George W. Bush, surprisingly. You know. Uh, so. You and know. I always thought, you know, uh, Nixon made. Bush made Nixon look like a choir boy. Well, and the, you know, but the, the Nixon, what with all that obstruction of justice and so forth, people forget, uh, you know, that people forget that Nixon, you know, he did. Here's the thing that I actually do know. I mean, he, he had that, you know, the opening talks with China, which is a not, which, by the way, over the years doesn't seem to have really paid us any dividends. I mean, at the time, I was like, you know, he was, I'm going to, you know, open relations with the Red Chinese, right. which I guess seemed like a big step forward. It was. But now that China just, I mean, I don't really know what the lasting effect of that was because they own everything. They're selling us things made of lead. All of their products kill you. And it just seems to be taken as an article of faith that they're going to invade us one of these days. So I think that might have been a bad idea. Nixon also did one other thing, which I thought was actually quite cool. And, of course, you know, this was at a time when I was marching in the streets with all the other freaks, you know, to roust him out of office. But he gave the 18-year-olds the vote. Yeah. He lowered the voting age from 21 to 18. Hmm. 
And that was a cool thing to do. Maybe he, maybe it's because he thought that after his laugh-in appearance, the young people would just flock to him in droves. <laughs> no, no, no. He said, Saka to me. we got to vote for him, man. Oh, uh, world's most lovable president. All right, Dick Nixon. Take a break after this. More with Todd Tolsis. Coming up later on, we'll talk to Scott Daly. And uh, from Mattress World, we'll talk to the lovely Sherry Heiner. who's going to talk about their upcoming Polar Plunge, Columbia. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. It is uh, President's Day. We are here. We are live. Sometimes uncomfortably so. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We're joined by the one and only Todd Tulsa. Hello, Todd Tulsa. Hi, Rick Emerson. How are you? Hello, Todd Tulsa. Hello, Sarah X. Dillon. <laughs> All right. Oh, you're looking smashing today. As are you, my friend. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, I just threw something on. This little thing? Yeah, it was the only, it was the only clean shirt in my closet. I'm apparently not looking smashing. That's fine. I mean, Rick, you're very, No, it's fine. Those people name their babies after you. Isn't that enough? It's okay. (laughs) Don't look at me. No, no, no. It really is okay. Mm. No, it's fine. All right. Uh, So here's what's coming up. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum is going to join us from from New York City here just a few. uh, And uh, we will do... I mean... I guess they're still trying to figure out this freaky thing, and I said this before, is that the, the, about that plane crashes. I think they don't actually know why it happened, which is always like the weirdest uh, part of the story to be in. So we'll talk to Steve. Um, he's got a little bit of a, you know, sort of Not the happy plane crash, the fatal one? Yeah, there was no happy plane crash, but there was the Hudson one. But I think they're still trying to, yeah. but it was like within like two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, they had like both of those. And I think they're just trying to figure out why the other one happened, but I think they got a little updated news on that. So we got that. Uh, Scott Daligo will be joining us uh, later on in this hour. We'll talk about the upcoming uh, Booyahs, which are the, the Film People Radio Awards, the uh, the ceremony formerly known as Film People Radio Awards. Uh, later on, we'll talk to Sherry Heiner from uh, Mattress World about Polar Plunge, Columbia. Uh, we'll try to get to this apocalyptic top five, which might actually be fantastic today. Today might be just the day to do it. It has one of my favorite bands on it. Does it really, Sarah? Which one? Can we say? Oh, this, yeah, this little band called the the Gutter Twins. I don't think I've heard of them, Sarah. <laughs> what are they best known for? <laughs> what my, how might members of the Rick Emerson audience know the Gutter Twins? <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. Here and there. Uh, and I was so, and I was kind of, you know, here's the thing. And you, like you being angry at the guy in the Gutter Twins, which I can totally get, you being angry at him made me angry at everything because, it, because like I'm so, like Lisa would probably tell you the same thing. Like I'm, that album is so effing good. It's did so it good. Did it disappoint you that he had to do that? Like It did. I hate I, it when people, like when you really respect somebody and then just like, the, I don't know, they kind of let you down. I mean, it disappointed me, but it didn't surprise me because I've heard so many stories about that guy is mm-hmm. just a dick. I mean, I've heard Mark Lanigan, I know, can be a little, he can be a little moody, he can be a little dark, but I've heard some, that Afghan Wigs guy, Greg uh, Dooley, I think is his name, Dooley is how you pronounce it, but he, 
because I'm less familiar with him than I am with Mark Lanigan, but I've heard so many stories about how he's just a bastard. And uh, is, that the, is that the bigger guy that kept yelling? Yeah, okay. yeah, no, yeah, he's the big sweaty guy. Because Mark Lanigan he was just, totally sweaty. Yeah, the other guy, the, the the other guy just didn't, you know, Mark Lanigan, the guy with the voice that's like a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. He didn't say a whole lot. He just seemed kind of let no, the music do the just talking. There to, to do his thing. But, that was the other. It was the yeah, the mouthy guy. But I, it's like I was talking to Lisa, and I told Lisa and I were discussing how he has, I think, walked out on a couple of in-studio performances that he's doing. He's like, you know. I, you know, the my what I don't like this microphone, and then he leaves, um, and so he's just kind of a known Lisa bastard. Lisa did say that I forgot that story when she said that when she worked at KEXP, they had this whole like live setup yeah. for, and he just completely <laughs> yeah. left him there. And he's just he's kind of known to be just a jerk. Mm. Uh, so it didn't really surprise me, but it did disappoint me because it's like, they, I mean, he, you know, that's a guy who like Mark Lanigan himself, by the way. Uh, you know, as Steven Tyler once said, he said, uh, you best believe I had it all, and then I blew it, feeding the monkey on my back or whatever. That's And the thing with those guys is that, this, I'll make this one observation about the Gutter Twins, because there's a lot of people we know who went, and then we'll, and then we'll continue with Todd Tulsa's, is that there was this song they played at one point, and I, and I don't know what the song was. I'm not, I'm not like, familiar enough with, like, I kind of know the Screaming Trees, and I know that Gutter Twins record, but they played a lot of stuff I didn't know. But they played this song, and it was one of those songs, because they're both kind of former junkies or whatever. But they sang the song, and it had this line. It was one of those songs where you think he's picking up a girl and taking her home, but it's really heroin. And which is a thing that's been done a lot. But he, you know, but it's like you think it's a girl, but it's really drugs. And it's a beautiful, like heartbreaking, sad song about he's like, you know, I'll call you up when I feel like I want to be broken into and whatever. And it's just like a dysfunctional relationship, but you know, it's and it's like the the bad girl, but the bad girl turns out to be a drug and whatever and all that stuff. And that's less important than this. You know, I was thinking about that whole grunge era, for lack of a better word, that Seattle scene. And, you know, you you had the Screaming Trees and the Afghan Whigs who were both, you know, I don't know to what extent everybody sort of remembers that, but it was like you had that first wave where it was like Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. They all signed these big deals. They all become famous. They all become huge rock stars. And the and like record company, this is back when a record company could sign you and you could become a jillionaire. And record companies were just prowling Seattle. I mean, every freaking corner. You would, you know, there was some guy from, you know, from A&M Records. Hey, do you want to be a rock star? And it was like everybody was looking around the Northwest like, who's going to be the next big band? Is it going to be Mudhoney? You know, is it going to be Screaming Trees? Is it going to be Sweetwater? I mean, who's it going to be? And everybody was like, who's the next band that's going to get signed? Is it going to be, you know, like the Mono Men? They're going to be. And but the thing is, there really weren't a lot of other bands that came out that got huge. But it's like so many of those bands, it's like they were their own undoing. And I'm not saying that that was the case with the Screaming Trees. And I'm not saying that that Greg guy like effed himself out of whatever, because I don't know. But you do get the sense that they played a big part in the destruction or at least the premature end of their of their band's ascendance. Mm-hmm. You get the feeling that they were their own undoing to a large degree. And so he's singing that song. And I'm thinking to myself... You know what? I don't know what anybody else has to show from that period. I don't know what any other band has to show from that whole gold rush that happened in Seattle and in the Northwest during that 10 years. A lot of people have success to show for it or money or a lot of fame or a legacy. You know, and it's just it's just heartbreaking. You know what that guy has to show for it? That guy has some songs he's written, you know, about how he spent however long, uh, you know, just all strung out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what it's like. You know, here's what I did on my summer vacation. You know, what what were you doing? Oh, uh, you were going to the Grand Canyon. Here's my summer vacation. I stayed in my apartment for six months. Uh, here I uh, had to be revived by uh, paramedics. 
Here's the next one. Oh, Ooh, hey, I overslept and didn't go to a uh, didn't go to a meeting with a record company. That was a great one. Oh wait, here's the next shot. Uh, this is me waking up in my own vomit. That's great. That's what I did for the last ten years. And it's like, in some ways, it's like the whole decade is gone, and what's left behind are these sort of these sort of just songs that encapsulate like what 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 one has to show for that decade. And it's it's kind of a beautiful. Horrible, sad, great thing when you hear songs that so perfectly encapsulate like where that ten years went, what particular drain that decade went down for you know for for certain folks interesting anyway, but that being said, he was kind of a douche uh, well uh we'll be rejoined by Todd Tolsis in one moment. welcome now to the Rick Emerson show from New York City CNN radio correspondent Steve Castamount. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? I am fantastic, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. No. Hey, you know, I was actually uh, in Seattle during all of that because I was uh, on a radio station that played music back then. And uh, What radio station were you on? WLIR, WDRE, out on Long Island, 92.7. Oh, wait, okay. I thought you meant a station in Seattle. No, 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 no. I was in New York, but I happened oh. to be out in Seattle uh, one New Year's Eve uh, for, uh, on some promotion. And uh, part of, uh, so I called up, like, the New Wave station in Seattle. I forgot the call letters. And I got into a New Year's Eve uh, a concert for Mad Season. Do you remember? Mad uh, Season. Sad suffering. Yes, I remember. The side project for... Um, Lane Staley or whatever yeah. from Alice in Chains. So that was yeah. probably the end. The end was probably the station. Uh, that you were KMDD, I think, the yeah. college. Uh-huh. I'm assuming the end still exists. I don't even really know. Is the end still around? It does, it does. All right, so that was, yeah. The end. That was all I listened to in high school, 107.7. It was, no, The End is a, a great station, and um, The End is also famous for being, I think, in whatever season of, the, of MTV's The Real World was on in 1998, one of the, the you know, took place in Seattle, and so uh, they took all those uh, kids in The Real World and they gave them jobs at The End. <laughs> and I remember sitting there unemployed in San Diego, having, you know, not able to find a radio gig, apparently unhirable, or so I thought uh, uh, at the time. Turning on MTV, and there's these like douchebag kids on the real world who have just been handed jobs in what was, I think, at that point, the number 10 market in the country or something. And I remember watching this episode of The Real World, and there's this guy, well, I'm supposed to go do my air shift on the end of that, but I'm really hungover. I think I'll stay home. And I remember just sitting there unemployed in my living room, just going, oh, you bastard, I will kill you. So Pro- uh, Proving what I used to say back when I was a radio disc jockey, that any fifth grader could do my job. <laughs> you said that, Steve. I didn't say that. That's what I used to say. I'd sit up there spinning records, and, and you know, that all of a sudden the computer started picking my music, and it was at that point that I said a fifth grader could do what I do. You know, here's the thing. You don't want to say that too loud because, uh, uh, you know, actually, you know, Les Moonves is just going to be importing it, you know, importing like a, you know, just like a whole, you know, importing like a whole bunch of uh, uh, ki- from kids from somewhere to, uh, you know, like, uh, look, here's, this is a, this is, I was going to say cart, but it's not even a cart anymore. This is a playlist, kids. All right, just be uh, coming here to be Oompa Loompas doing my job. All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, so I don't want to get all, all serious uh, or anything, but um, but there was this horrible uh, plane crash that happened, and as I've said before, one of the the freaky part you go through is there's the crash, and then there's the resolution, but in between there's this awful place where you don't know why it happened, and I think that's what freaks people out, especially if they have to fly again. So, but it's but it takes forever, right? It's probably got to take months before they figure out exactly why it happened. Yeah, it takes uh, the better part of a year before they come out with a final report. Uh, the focus uh, now is on uh, icing on the wings and the conditions the plane was flying in as it approached the airport's runway and whether or not it was the best uh, the best approach to have the autopilot on uh, at that time. Uh, and there are conflicting uh, 
recommendations, essentially. The FAA's protocol is that uh, in, in this type of moderate, uh, light to moderate icing, the autopilot should be on because the computer is much better at making those uh, fine adjustments that need to be made as the plane is slowing down, and, and, you know, to, to keep it in the air. The National Transportation Safety Board issued a recommendation not too long ago that pilots should be flying the plane and not the autopilot because the pilot needs to have a better idea of the changes that are taking place in the plane. They can feel that through the, the stick uh, as they're appro- uh, approaching the runway because all of a sudden as the plane's slowing down, if there is a problem, there's this mechanism that, that kicks in where the, the stick suddenly starts shaking to let the pilot know there's a problem that he needs to take over. And by then, it could be, you know, theoretically too late. And so the guy from the National Transportation Safety Board that has been updating uh, us daily, Stephen Chilander, yesterday was asked, uh, you know, whether or not it was a mistake to to have the autopilot on. I wouldn't characterize it as a mistake. Uh, um, we have, as the NTSB, that, that being the we, uh, have, have in, uh, indeed recommended that in encourage pilots to disengage the autopilot uh, when they are flying in icing conditions. Now that... Recommendation has been made to the FAA. And the FAA sees things differently. They want that uh, autopilot on because they say, you know, it's better able to handle the workload. The thing about I almost can't think too much about how airplanes work because it freaks me out. And part of that is the autopilot versus regular pilot thing. Because on the one hand, you don't want to think that there's... You know, you don't want to think that there's an autopilot up there that is, you know, in charge of whatever amount of functions, because then you just start thinking about the billions of ways in which it can go wrong, and there's, you know, electronic glitches and snafus of all varieties. But on the other hand, I might be alone here, but it also freaks me out to think about the fact that there's this huge, I mean, multi-ton piece of steel in the air that is responsible for my safety, holding me seemingly in defiance of the law of God at like 30,000 feet. And there's a guy who's basically using a huge steering wheel to move the whole thing around. Because that freaks me out, too, because that seems like, well, that that seems just foolish. They shouldn't just let this whole thing be run with one guy in a steering wheel. That doesn't seem safe. So there's just no, I can't think about it. There's no good, there's no good way that I can view it. It's just very, very unsettling. Um, not, to, not, not to make light of this, but I, I should actually ask you something. I don't know if you heard about this. There was the greatest story that came out of Russia the other day, and it was where some Passengers got into a plane. They noticed that the pilot seemed to be a little unsteady on his feet, seemed a little sloppy. And so one of the passengers went up to speak to him, and like the pilot, of course, reeked of alcohol. And they, the pilot started complaining about it, and they were agitated. They're like, we, like, we don't want to fly on this plane. This guy's loaded. And they got so unreasonable that somebody from the airline actually had to come on the airplane and speak to the passengers and sort of calm them. And I swear to God, we ha- I wish I'd kept the story. This is what the guy from the airline actually said to the passengers. He said, I'm getting the exact verbiage wrong, but but he said, essentially, he said, it's okay, don't worry about it if the pilot is a little drunk. The plane basically flies itself. <laughs> I mean, that's what the, like, the airline said that. Like, welcome to Russia Air. You may or may not live. I mean, it was just like, it, it, they were just so, like, laissez-faire about the whole thing. Just kind of a, well, what can you do, comrade? And Have you know, a pretzel. Those, those Russian uh, passenger planes have the worst uh, safety record, uh, you know, out of all of the different planes that are built out there around the world. Their safety record is horrendous. Oh, that's hard to believe. Couldn't possibly have anything to do with the fact that everybody there is siphoning out the hydraulic fluid so they can get a cheap buzz after lunch. <laughs> I mean, theoretically speaking, I don't know. Can't afford the vodka. I was just going to say. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what their, what their solution to alcoholism was in the Soviet Union? Is that they have done the, they have done the equivalent of raising the price of a fifth of vodka to $250. 
That's their whole thing. We don't want people to drink. We'll make because that always works. By the way, make drugs unreachable to the people who really want them. That always that always makes your society run real well. Mm. Oh, good God Almighty! All right. On that note, my friend, uh, we are terribly behind schedule, so I got to skedaddle, as they say. But have a fantastic day. Are you on tomorrow? If so, we'll, uh, we'll speak. Uh, yes, then. Sam. I'll be around tomorrow. Hey, right. happy President's Day. Thank you. All right. Okay. Steve Kasim. Hello, Todd Toltis. Hey, hello there, Rick Emerson. Let's do some more news. I'm telling you, the news almost seems superfluous today. We've got just oh. a, 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 a just a warehouse full of celebrities between uh, you know this fellow you just had on a second ago. You got Sherry Heiner coming in, you know, a little while. I mean, this is this is excited to meet her. This is the All Star Show. Oh, sure. I only see her on television. Me so too. That makes her sort of a TV star. Yes. I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Ever since I've lived in Oregon, I've seen her on TV. Well, and here's the thing: um, is that and and I mean. So that we're going to be talking about because th- there's this polar plunge Columbia uh, that's coming up, and I think Court and Fatboy actually, because I think it, they, they did like a thing to kick it off, and then the actual event. Is that when Drew Carney kissed Fatboy on the mouth? On the mouth without warning. Uh, Out for of nowhere. That I, Ouch. It doesn't really make much sense. Uh, no, I don't think it was ever adequately uh, explained. It was all. Well, all he very, was a little perplexed and molested. It's all very weird. Um, but Polar Plunge Columbia is coming up, presented by Mattress World. It benefits Special Olympics Oregon. It's happening February 21st, 2009, Broughton Beach, uh, Portland, of course. And you can find out more at S-O-O-R, as in um, Special Olympics Oregon, S-O-O-R.org slash plunge. And we'll talk more to uh, Sherry Heiner about that because uh, Mattress World is, is presenting that. So we're going to do that. But also it should be noted that, I mean, as you just said, you know, you, you're here in Portland. I mean, you know, you, you see Sherry on TV because of Mattress World. And my wife actually knows. Um, how should I put this? I have a certain uh, fondness uh, for, for Sherry Heiner. I, she's a, she's, a, she's a, quite an attractive woman. And so to the point that actually sometimes if I am out of the room, because, you know, my wife will actually say, hey, by the way, you want to get in here? Your girlfriend from the Mattress, uh, from mattress World is on. <laughs> she come in. That's she's, a good lady. She's wearing a crucifix this time or whatever, you know, and just like, or whatever it is she's wearing. It goes like, I'm excited to see she's wearing today because as the commercials progress and as she's, she's a very beautiful woman. So you're about to say something I couldn't say probably. Well, this is... She's, she's very pretty, but I, I like watching him because like every commercial, she gets a little more like comfortable with herself. <laughs> so perhaps the neckline just gets... Just a smidgen lower. Well, her excitement is very, is very infectious. What isn't interesting, exciting about mattresses? Come on. They're exciting. <laughs> okay. You can just, you know, fall asleep thinking about them. <laughs> that's not at all. No. That's not at all. That's not at all. <laughs> We've talked about this on the air before. Yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. That was just an instinctive dump right there. It's not at all like that. <laughs> I thought we had talked about that. Oh, no, no, no. That's exactly the deal. But I'm saying in in that way, it is not like it is not like that in that way. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Oh, no. That, I wasn't insinuating that about her. That's why I believed it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I completely get it now. No, 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 no. That wasn't. Uh, no, quite the opposite. No, no, no. It's like, here's, I'll just I explain it. I completely get why you just dumped me. Okay. I will, I will actually now explain what we dumped. Uh, now that we sort of. I. That was over my head. It's the best day ever. Um, <laughs> I was. Uh, I think what you were referring to is that is that occasionally. So you'll see Sherry Heiner on TV uh, for Mattress World, and occasionally, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's something that where the collar is up here. Sometimes it's cut a little lower, and depending on what commercials you see or in what order, it's like sometimes it seems like the neckline is kind of going a little lower and lower. Which don't get me wrong, Rick Emerson's a big fan of that. I was going to say, well, in fact, I did say. That it's like Marina Sirtis on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and you made a, a sound of approval for yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah, she's very exotic looking. And well, and as you notice, 
if you watch Next Generation, every season her the neckline is you know it's cut lower and lower. She shows more and more cleavage. <laughs> that there you and I don't even I was going to say the similarity. I was going to it sort of reminded me of that what Sarah was referencing. And which was, by the way, in no way a reference. No, it it was so much so that I didn't even make the correlation, which is why I was so confused about why I was dumped. Just, yeah, just just as sort of an adjunct to this whole conversation, I had a good friend of mine who sat next to uh, Rick Berman, who was, you know, kind of the uh, the showrunner for that, um, on a plane flight. And I guess uh, Berman, this is, my friend told me this, and this is not like a friend of a friend. Like, this is a guy I worked with, and he's like, I sat next to Rick Berman. So who knows if he was sort of like, making this bigger than it was in retrospect, or he was adding to the story. But he, as he said it, he said Berman kind of got into his screwdrivers as the flight went on. And as he told the story, he said that Berman was like, yeah, have you ever noticed that... This is Marina Sirtis we're talking about in the start of the next generation. He said, did you ever notice that, like, as the show uh, goes on, her neckline gets lower? I'm, like, making him sound like W.C. Fields. Her neckline gets lower and lower. It's because her ass kept getting wider and wider and wider, and we had to distract from one with the other. Well, she must have uh, taken care of that because in the in the later seasons of the Next Generation, she was eventually given a uniform. Yeah, see, I don't even know that it's true. I, I don't even know that I ever noticed that. But then again, maybe I'm just so distracted by the cleavage. Maybe it did its job, and I couldn't <laughs> it tell. Did. Seriously, I, I mean, she, I mean, she, you know, in the first uh, season or so, uh, she sort of dressed like uh, some uh, gypsy high priestess. Uh, you know, between the the hair and the ruffles and the, uh, you know, and and all the makeup, and then finally they they made her look a little more. You know, uh, I'm a professional. Big, uh, what, I don't even know what she's done since then. I mean, I don't... Uh, no, I, I've I never mean, seen her in anything since then. No, I mean, but I guess you don't need to. I mean, it might be the thing where, look, sometimes you just want to act for its own sake, but sometimes it's like, hey, I'm on the gravy train. I mean, look, you get a gig on Star Trek, like, you are set forever. I mean, if you if you like to do those conventions and comic yeah. book things and uh, you know mall openings and uh, you know NASA you know uh, guest uh, stints totally. on television and uh, I mean there are worse ways to make a living. You know what I mean? Uh, and if you can stomach going to the comic cons and just sitting there and signing right. autographs for six hours, I mean, a you have no right to bitch if you can do that, and b. Like That'd if you be wanna... awesome. I'd love to go to Comic Con. I mean, how we uh, we tried actually last year to put something together, and it, to like it, it it didn't happen, and it didn't happen so early on that we never even mentioned it. But we were. Oh, should of... we try again this year? <sighs> if you if you want to be disappointed again, we could. I don't know. It's possible. I mean, what is it? August? So it's August. Uh, this is February. Yeah, you know, it's, but we talked about doing it last year, and then it just you know, it didn't come to fruition. We just never really had. This we was, never really had time. This was the plot of that. What I thought was a hysterical movie, Galaxy Quest, with Tim Allen. Dude, one of the best movies ever. And it was like, you know, the the washed up, you know, star, what was it, star, well, the show was called Galaxy Quest. Characters are all, you know, they're doing it like a monthly, you know, supermarket opening or a Comic-Con convention or a Star Trek or whatever. And they're all just all burned out on it. and, And, you know, they can't wait to get out of there. And the best line in that movie, by the way, I mean, that movie's full of great moments. We love that movie. That is a, Galaxy Quest is a, is a movie loved by the show. It's a must-see. And, in fact, in our Geek Watch, you know, we use a lot of lines from Galaxy Quest and the Geek Watch uh, theme. But um, the best moment for me, the best line reading that film, is when they're at, like, the supermarket opening or whatever. And Alan Rickman, who just, you know, I played Shakespeare, you know, I was I played Hamlet. <laughs> and he does that, like, by Grandfather's Hammer. Grandfather's Hammer. Are the sons of... What's a savings? Yeah. And he just, like, hates it. And I don't know if it's Granthar or Grabthar. I thought it was Grab... I don't see. Now I've maybe I've just made it. Watch. But he just... But he just said... 
What a savings. And he just hates it. Just hates himself with every word. He hates his life. And it's so beautiful and wonderful. Oh, you shall be revenged. Uh, do we have the... Uh, do we have a little bit of this? Here's Is the, it the uh, open or the close? I think it's... The, uh, oh, what's, what's on the end? It's the, the open. Cheeseburgers Wait, no. Uh, I think it's, it's the close. It's the close. My Grandstar's Hammer. Grandstar? My Grandstar's Hammer. By the Sons of Warvan. All right, hold on. Yeah, I thought it was Grandstar's. Yeah, Grandstar's Hammer. Okay. Sons of... Grabthar's Hammer has 9,600 results. Granthar's Hammer. Five million. No, there, there, in fact, there is no... There are no results for Granthar's Hammer. Wait, or are there? No. Uh, Grabthar's Hammer. It's Grabthar. Wikipedia Grabthar? says... Okay. Wikipedia says Grabthar's Hammer. By, by Grabthar's Hammer, by the Sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. <laughs> And then, of course, they have that famous quotes from this movie. As <laughs> him saying, by Grab Thaw's Hammer, what's a savings? That's so great. But, yeah, if you can get, I mean, that is like, dude, you are on you are on the money train for life. If you get the right gig on a sci-fi fantasy show, and then if you can stomach, you know, just living the rest of your life as that one character. And a lot of people are like, you know, if you're like a real, like, like you really want to spread your artistic wings and you want to be known something, oh, then I guess it could be a little bit of a challenge. You get typecast or whatever. But if you're just in for the money, that's the way to do it. And just because you're the captain, it doesn't mean you're necessarily set for life. It means you'll have a uh, comfortable income through reruns and reuse fees. But, for example, Picard went on to, uh, you know, many, many other projects, including yeah. Broadway. Hi, Claudius. And uh, uh, Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol. And then also, uh, wait. Uh, We're talking about Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah. I love Patrick Stewart. Me and too. My mom has like the hugest crush on him. What was it sitcom? What sitcom did he appear on? Was it? It wasn't. Um, and it, well, it wasn't like Sex in the City, but it was like I think he it was, was like, in um, Extras with Ricky Gervais. Was that it? And mm -hmm. I, but I think it was also like a Suddenly Susan type thing, where like he was the date. You know, she's like, "This is my date, whoever." And it's like it's Patrick, and he's like, "I'm here to take you to Broadway." You know, and it's just like he's the hottest guy he's ever. He's a charmer. And whatever. He really. And I don't really have a thing for bald men either, but he, he's sexy bald. And he's kind of weird looking. Like that's the thing about Patrick Stewart. Is he traditionally? Is he objectively attractive? He's got a weird nose. He does have a weird nose. But he makes it work, and I think it's just because... He's kind of, of a small head, too. Let me ask you this. Here's a question for you. Is it that you find... Are you attracted to Patrick Stewart or to Jean-Luc Picard? I would say Jean-Luc Picard. Now, I'm a guy. I don't really like the unicorn, though. But my attraction to him is uh, not like a, you know, oh, I want to... You want to be No, I don't want to... Yeah, you right. It's, it's a, as a guy, he, you look at the, like, the captain of a starship who, you know, you respect the uniform and he can, you know, his command is uh, without uh, without question, and he's able to handle any circumstance. I mean, you want to be like him. This is the Borg Even part. being turned into a Borg. Who says that? I let him sex best when he was a Borg. Like PPI thing? That's a weird thing to say. I'm just kidding. I mean, no, I mean, it's fine with me. I'm just saying that's odd. I think that would make you the. I mean, is that true? No. No, 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 no. Okay. All right, I was going to say, because that would actually but be kind of. It was kind of like an Edward Scissorhands kind of motif that he had going on. Totally. I, uh, well, it's like my wife has this whole thing. She thought that she had a thing for James Gandolfini, and, and I actually asked her one time, I'm like, I'm like, do you have a thing for James Gandolfini or for Tony Soprano? And she thought, and she actually only had to think for like a second, and she goes, it's Tony Soprano. Yeah. She's like, I'm not attracted to James Gandolfini. She's like, I would totally F Tony Soprano like, yeah. in a second. You know, and I'm like, well, all right, fair enough. There you go. Because James Gandolfini is not like he's a real looker. I mean, you know not what I mean? Really. Just, uh, James Gandolfini looks like one of those guys that ought to be like one of the grubby, unlikable guys on a pirate ship who's like drinking mead out of a horn or something. And like, <laughs> But he's like the goof. Like he's the guy who's drunk and is vomiting over the side and like, you know, oh, I think I see land. Oh, it's just... My feet. You know, that's Tony Soprano. That's, that's James Gandolfini, anyway. He's like Bob Hoskins in Hook. 
you know. He's like Bob Hoskins in a book. You know. Wow. You know, I mean, you know, you know, Mr. Smee or whatever it was. You know, he that is Mr. an amazing Smee. reference. Who says yeah. that anybody is like Bob Hoskins <laughs> in anything? Yeah. Oh, Bob Hoskins is awesome. Wow. Now, Bob Hoskins, he managed to he managed to bury that British accent for Who Killed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And played a sort of a you know a, a burned out Los Angeles private eye. I love Bob Hoskins. He's fantastic. You know where Bob Hoskins is the best? He is fantastic in uh, Oliver Stone's Nixon, where he plays um, J. Edgar Hoover. Oh. And he plays him as just so clearly evil and warped and closeted. And it's, you know, and, and he just, uh, he he has that thing where everything comes out really sinister. You know, and he just, and it's yeah. just, he has some of the most vile dialogue in that film. And he just, like, you never doubt it for a second. I mean, he vanishes into that role. You're like, wow, you're creepy and sweaty. And he just, he yeah, he makes it work. Yeah. Bob Hoskins. Good for you. Good reference there. Oh, that's a good one. I, I like haven't seen too. Who Framed Roger Rabbit forever. I wonder if that still works. I wonder if it holds up. It does. does I it? saw it just a couple of months you ago. You kind of, oh my God, you look like the guy, the main guy in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like the detective. Bob, Bob Hoskins. Hoskins. Is that Bob Hoskins? <laughs> yeah. And it comes full circle. Yeah. In fact, you oh, know, he's, I, a lot, he's a lot bigger in Hook, so I think I was confused. I think I was. Uh, I think I auditioned for a uh, you know a Roger Rabbit sound alike. Really? Uh, re, you know, a couple of months ago, and and I actually I do it you know. I do it pretty well. And it takes, you know, it, Wait, it, hold on. It, before, takes, it takes like 10 minutes to warm up. Hold on. You know, before you do it. so nuts. When you say a Roger Rabbit sounded like, you mean like Charles, like like it was actually... Charles Fleischer. Roger Rabbit, but like Charles Fleischer isn't around, or like it was a character who was clearly supposed to kind of be Roger Rabbit. It was... Uh, it, it a was, knockoff. It was for some... Yeah, it was a knockoff. Okay. And that's sort of what they wanted. Were they... Like, we wanted Charles Fleischer and Roger yeah, Rabbit, well, but obviously we can't, we can't afford Charles so Fleischer, so we're, we're low-balling it. This is like uh, Zinky the Zebra, uh, but it's kind of the same thing. So Yeah, it, it's that sort of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they... Uh, and so I... You know, we we have uh, we have uh, Roger Rabbit, you know, on tape at home somewhere. You know, it's before DVDs, I guess. You know, yeah, and, and uh, it still does hold up. It still is fascinating. You know, to have the animated characters interact with the uh, live uh, people on this on the set, it's it's fascinating. And a human trying to like hump a cartoon. No. Yeah, well, it wasn't quite that crazy. Well, yeah. and the weird. Well, I thought that, well, I thought that the the, the well, wasn't Jessica Rabbit being all like. Yeah, she's a, and she's a burlesque uh, yeah. performer, she's a, a, a dancer. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, two things. One, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. And I think, line. and and is that Kathleen Turner, who's her voice? I think it's Kathleen Turner. I don't remember. And I forget could be. who the body is supposed to be. There's a real person that Jessica Rabbit's body is based on. You know, sort of exaggerated, obviously, but I, I forget exactly who. But there's two things about that. One, one great thing about Roger Rabbit is how, and this is really like a, just a wanky nerd conversation, but how they have. All kinds of different properties from different studios. Yeah. Like it's Disney and Warner Brothers together on screen, which sounds like a small thing, but you never see that. I mean, you never see Donald Duck and Daffy Duck in the same movie. It just doesn't happen. Uh, it's like, you know, there are these parallel worlds, and, and they never interact. So that was groundbreaking about that film. There was so much licensing. I think right. the, I think one of the only people they didn't get is Woody Woodpecker, because of all people, like the Woody Woodpecker folks were like, no, we, we demand more money. And they right. were like, no, you're Woody Woodpecker. F you. You know, yeah. and then it just didn't happen. <laughs> um, secondly... Have you ever read the book on which that movie is based? No. Oh, dude, you got to read it. I forget the author's name, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm. is based on a novel that came out probably 10 years before that called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And it is a, it's just like the movie, but even more noir. It is a very dark, very bleak, noir detective novel, but with exactly the same premise that like tunes and humans interact in the same world. But it's all very. But I think in the I think in the novel I think Jessica's like a porn star, and I think Roger actually. I mean I'm not trying to horrify children in the audience, but in the novel, who censored Roger Rabbit? I think Roger actually is murdered 
at one point, and the detective is trying to like solve his murder and avenge his death right. by Grabthar's hammer. And but it's very dark, and uh, and but somebody must have read it, and they they figured out that the concept was good enough if they just stripped the darkness out, it would make a great movie. So and that's and that's sort of what happened. The thing was, Roger couldn't be killed not only because he was a tune. Uh, but because you saw early on, right at the beginning of the movie, how everything in the world dropped on right. him. You know, knives. You know, you know, creased his head. Uh, you know, a refrigerator fell <laughs> over on him. And then they, um, and 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 then you know, the camera pulls back and they go, cut, cut, cut. Roger, I said. I said stars, not not planets, you know, because he's sitting there dazed. And you know how when when cartoon characters are dazed, they have like stars and you know stuff going right. around their heads. And he's got planets going around. He says, no, Roger, we wanted stars, not planets. We've got to do it all over again. And they had already done like a two-minute thing where Roger gets, you know, beat up and knifed and, you know, stuff falls on him. And, you know, while he's trying to save baby Herman, who is actually an adult, I mean, he's just dressed up as like this little baby. He says, Roger, I can't work with this. I can't work with this guy. Come on, Roger, get it together. You know? I wish they were still doing those Roger Rabbit shorts, actually. Because remember, for a few years after that, you go to see... A film, and they would—I uh, don't even remember what studio it was now, Warner Brothers, maybe. But you go to see a movie, uh, and they would—they would have a Roger Rabbit like two or three minutes short before yeah. the film. Yeah, actually, there was one short I remember called Tummy Trouble. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. God, I'm old. All right. Aren't we all? Yes, we are. Except for Sarah. <laughs> Sarah still has the bloom of youth. <laughs> so are we breaking? Hey, we're breaking. Uh, back after this, more with uh, Todd Tolsis. We'll talk to Scott Daly in a bit. Uh, Sherry Heiner from Mattress World will join us in studio. And we'll do the uh, top five. We'll get to the top five apocalyptic songs of all time. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. As we celebrate He's treating me worse than a jerk Christian Bale did. I want you off this set, you Sorry. No, don't just be sorry. Think for one second. I dropped a peanut M&M and it rolled over here. Am I going to walk around and rip your lights down in the middle of a scene? Those are Christmas lights. I put them up to make everyone happy. Then why the f*** are you walking right through? Ah, uh, da-da-da-da, like this in the background. What the f*** is it with you? Boy, you were going to owe a fortune to the swear jar. You got any f***ing idea about, hey, it's distracting having somebody walking up behind Bryce in the middle of the f scene. Give me a f answer. I, I don't get it. What don't you get about it? I, I don't get why we need another Terminator. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. it oh, and uh, by the way, sorry, I, I, I ate that last piece of pie that you were saving for yourself. Oh, good for you. And how was it? It was good. I hope it was good because it's useless now, isn't it? Wait, it's nourishing me, so that's, that's useful. Jake, man, you're amateur. I don't know that word. Stay off the f set, man. Right, let's go again. Can we just take a minute? Let's not take a f minute. Let's go again! I gotta go pee, and I wanna walk around some more, but I wanna do it while the scene's going. You're unbelievable, man. You know, I, I just don't understand. Uh, you don't f understand what it's like working with actors. That's what that is. I don't, I don't think that's what that that's is. That's what that is, man. I'm telling you. Hey, my family's coming to town. Do you mind pretending that I'm the director? I wanna f kick your f I'm gonna go. You want me to go trash your lights? No. Do you want me to trash them? No, I don't want you to trash them. You do it one more time. I ain't walking on this set if you're still hired. Sorry, it's my first day. I'm serious. You're a nice guy. You're a nice guy. I don't feel like a nice guy. But I don't cut it when you around like this on set. Geez, you punch your mother with that mouth? Seriously, man. You and me, we're done professionally. Wait, just professionally? Are you asking me out on a date? Yes.
That's genius. That is genius. Right. By the way, the TMZ center there is because they... Uh, I guess that was last... I didn't see last night's Family Guy, but I guess that was last night's Family Guy. And The Simpsons has a new opening. Did you see that? No. I did. For the first time in 19 years, they changed the opening of The Simpsons. It, it was uh, shocking. It was like, what... what? Oh, show. oh, I'm sorry. Hello, Scott Daly. Oh, Hello. Hello. Oh, hey. I uh, I don't know that. Did anybody know they were going to do that? Uh, I saw a little something about it on Fark. And oh, uh, very weird. Yeah, it was. I thought it was kind of cool though. Yeah. After 19 years, they they finally changed it up. How different it. is it? They have every single character that's ever been in an episode in the beginning. I thought that it's they already had that. No, 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 no. This is about the, when they do the Springfield like pan like when they pan. No, it's like people interacting with all the different characters. Um, yeah, it's just it's everything. It's like in like a two minute opener, yeah. and, and it's it's and a bit I, longer. They said I think a lot of it was because of like uh, widescreen television and HD and you know yeah. the, you know different aspect ratio or whatever. So they was that, and then but yeah, over the weekend TMZ. I somehow I guess they must have gotten that from Fox. Uh, TMZ put up an advance of that Family Guy Christian Bale thing, which I had to bleep by hand this morning, which is the funniest thing I'd ever heard. So. <laughs> uh, there you go today more than ever <laughs> it is uh, the rick emerson radio program uh, we're here with uh, todd tulsas holding down the news desk and being a bastion of normalcy in a sea of nuttiness oh and i did find his uh, yeah. we found his roger rabbit thing. oh really did you want to listen to a second of it the next voice you hear is that of todd tulsas as a guy not unlike roger rabbit Please, Eddie, you gotta help me i'm being framed someone's trying to kill me ah! that's kind of freaky that's wow that's it can you do it now it takes a few minutes to warm up, kind Scott. Of yeah, I mean, I would, but... No, he's got a whole... Uh, he's got you, don't like a like, you, know, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to tear anything. You don't want to tear anything. You know, we'll blow out some microphones and stuff, but, uh, you know... Because uh, I'm always fascinated with... I'm always fascinated watching people do characters, you know, <laughs> just go into the whole voice character mode, like watching Seth MacFarlane do Peter. And that weirded Brian. me out. Have you seen that video? It's like a four-minute video of MacFarlane doing all the voices. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. It's... Uh, it, it just, you know, normally, you know, it just it just takes a little while to warm it up. Yeah. You, you know? get a lot of people come up going, hey, do me a funny voice. Say something like in a weird voice for me, Mr. Voice Guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that sometimes. Or actually, I, uh, you know, I sort of do it without being required, and they go, oh, do another. <laughs> you know, you give them one for right. free, and then they oh, oh do another. That's I wouldn't know anything about you know, that. Like, you know, it's like, you know. Hey, how about a nice wine punch? Remember that one from a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yes, I do. That's what like your, doing? that's your go-to. That's your gold. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that guy's easy. I don't have to warm up for that guy. What would you say is your trademark voice that is not your own? In other words, you know, a voice either that you do or that is of your own creation or, you know, that is an existing character. What would you say is your, your trademark voice that you do? You know, I, I, I don't know if I have a trademark voice other than the one you're hearing right now. This is one that I've, you know, used for years and years and years, but the one that I can easily, you know, slide into for, you know, just that's different sounding is actually I, I, I uh, you know, take the Tulsa's turban off to, a you know, a David Lander, the guy who played Squiggy on... Um, right. Well, Vernon you know, Shirley and Vernon Shirley. Shirley. Yeah, Lennon Squiggy, yeah. You know, he kind of talks like this, you know, you know, <laughs> You know what? 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 I don't know. I don't know what he does. What? What? You know, tell me now, because I, I don't know. You know, was it something I said? What? 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 And uh, and and it's 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 a hysterical voice. And he wrote this brilliant book called Fall Down Laughing. Um, did you read that by any chance? Gosh. No. No. He not. wrote a great book called Fall Down Laughing, and in it he wrote about how he was diagnosed, I think, with multiple sclerosis. Right. Right. And or muscular dis- dystrophy, yeah, one, one of the two. Anyway, he was he was barely able to stand up, but he'd never told anybody about it because he was worried that he wouldn't be able to get any work anymore. Right. And hence the name of the book, Fall Down Laughing. He, uh, I think they, they he came to town uh, about yeah. six months ago, and we we had 
tried to get him on for an interview, and then there was a scheduling thing at the last moment, and we weren't able to do it. But uh, they they'd done a showing of used cars. I think is is what they uh, uh, at the Laurelhurst. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a benefit for him, and he. Uh, so he's you know, and I and, and some of the folks that we had talked to said that they had read the book, and that it was just that it was fantastic. It so. really was a great book. Yeah, it's, everybody, yeah, it's called Fall Down Laughing. By the way, it's just hard to imagine. I know that you, like, we've talked about how you were you were the uh, you know you did the voice of the Tom Hartman show, and. It's hard to imagine you just uh, reining yourself in and just being so straight, like you know, voice-wise with him, as opposed to like, did you were you ever tempted to bust out like the Hawaiian voice guy, you know, during <laughs> while you were doing the Tom Hartman thing? Well, you know, I, I never did that stuff live on his show. You know, this is always, you know, I when I did the imaging for the Tom Hartman program, um, it was usually, you know, after his show was over, and I usually. You know, listen to his show during the course of the day. Tried to find a little snippet that I could use to make a promo out of, right. which I would send to Air America. Oh wait, so you so did this? You did like the recycler promos? Yes. I continue to be more impressed by you. Uh, every every time we talk to you, Tom. Yeah. Hartman. So I would find like a little snippet, you know, where where you know where Tom would you know be you know flying out of his chair screaming, "That's illegal!" You know, you know stuff like that. Oh, that's good food for that's good food for promos. You know, and I only needed about twenty seconds of him, and the other ten seconds of the thirty second promo was me saying. Um, you know, the Tom Hartman program on Air America Radio, weekdays, noon to three, you know, or whatever. I'm just going to hire you to follow me around and announce my entrance into rooms. <laughs> that would be worth Like if yeah, I have to go to a I meeting, that. hey, stand in the doorway, and now Rick Emerson. <laughs> and then I walk in, hello, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Rick Emerson now enters the room. Seriously, I wish I had like a little portable thing I could just put that on and then just play it everywhere I went, you know? Yeah. The Rick Emerson is now going to speak, and then I would tell a joke or right. something. And you have some guy, you know, you get Richie to push around your portable PA system, you know, and, uh, yes. you know, I'll hold the microphone, and, you know, you, you can have that's your posse. Exactly. Yeah, you ought to rent yourself out for that, really, just, you know, to be the, you ought to be the, the portable Don LaFontaine. <laughs> You know, for like a guy with a lot of, like Richard Branson or some guy with a lot of disposable income, he just did, and you know, and just every, like before he speaks, you can let people know, like, Richard is about to speak. <laughs> and then he's, he's sort of like a preamble guy. Um, and the, so here's a question. So because you are a radio guy, and by the way, if you want to know more about uh, Todd Tulsis or if you would like to hire him to be your own personal voice, it's uh, imagingvoice.com, all one word. You can hear his demo. You can find out how to contact him, imagingvoice.com. Dot com for the incomparable uh, Todd Tulsis. Okay, I'm going to ask you a radio question. And because I asked this of somebody the other day, and it was like the musicology guys or something, I asked it, and everybody in the room had a different answer. And everybody in the room had worked in radio to some to some degree, you know, for you know, at least a couple of years. Nobody had the same answer on this. In radio, if there is a commercial that is scheduled to play, and then for whatever reason, due to circumstances usually beyond your control, the commercial doesn't play. It is, it is a discrepancy with the log. It is a, a discre there's a commercial log that tells you what spots play at what time during the show. Right. And there is a discrepancy then between what is scheduled to play and what is actually played. Right. And there's this term that I think is probably only used in radio where you say, like, hey, uh, what happened to that ad for Elliott Law Office? And you go, oh, there was a whole thing at the computer. We had to discrep that. Let me ask you this. If you were writing that a spot was discrept, how do you spell discrept? It's D-I-S-C-R-E-P. No, 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 but I mean, like, discrept. Not, in other words, not, <laughs> like, if you were to write it, 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 like, past tense. Like, you had, like, what happened to that spot? Why didn't it play? Oh, it didn't play, and therefore, the spot was discrept. Yeah. How would you, how would you spell that? D-I-C, D-I-S-C-R-E-P? Did we just go through no, that? No, 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 but I'm not saying to discrep a spot as in, like, present tense. Yeah. I'm saying if you were telling it past tense. Then it's discrept. 
How to peace? T D I S C R E P P E D. See, that's exactly how I spell it. No, and I would spell it with a T. I was going to say C, a T as well. Kristen Bowie, she's like, I'd spell it with a T. How would you spell discrept? D I S. C-R-E-P-T. See, Kristen Bowie said the same thing. And then James Robinson was like, he's like, no, 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 it's D-I-S-C-R-E-P-E-D, one P only. Oh, and he's like, right. it's described. That's why I'm not like, described? That's stupid. <laughs> Don't ever speak again. Uh, you know, or whatever. And everybody in the room had a different take. And there, I suppose, is no right answer to that. But it's just one of those things that I realize now I have said aloud. And here's why I ask this question. Because the, the more uh, of Rick's uh, neuroses on parade... I was actually writing an email to the traffic department the other day, and the people who know the traffic department tracks what spots play and what don't. Right. And there had been some issue. The audio vault, our computer system had crashed, and we something hadn't played. And so I was writing an email, and I'm like, uh, yeah, so that, you know, whatever, that, like, uh, you know, that, that, that Elliot Law spot didn't play. And uh, so it was discrept, and we'll play it next week. And I got to discrept, and I did that thing of I just stopped, and I froze, and there was like a vapor lock in my head. And I was discrept. Now I'm going to have to type it out because I firmly believe it would be a T. You know what I did? I actually went back and I rewrote the sentence to avoid using the word. <laughs> I went back and I said, I had to discrep it and it will play. And a discrep I could spell because that's D-I-S-C-R-E-P, just like you said. I actually went back and I restructured the sentence so I didn't have to say the word because I was so freaked out that I didn't know how to spell it. And then it was like all these gears in my head. It was like a, it was like I got a critical Windows blue screen error in my head. I'm like, ah! And I just had to stop and like... Erase the whole sentence. Go Wouldn't again. spell check catch that? No, because it's not a word. I mean, it's, it's a radio. Word. It's oh, yeah. a radio, radio word only. Yeah, it's a radio it. colloquialism. It, exactly. Yeah. So, and there's all kinds of things. The spell check doesn't catch all kinds of stuff. Uh-uh. There's That's all. Do you ever like get really? I mean, we could do a whole thing about what Windows and Yahoo and Gmail and all of those different spell checks, what they catch and what they don't. It's all very strange. All right. Uh, real quickly. Hey, uh, Richie, is Sherry Heiner here? Not yet. All right. <laughs> All right. Still sounds like he's ordering fast food when he answers. Oh, <laughs> uh, so how about this? We'll come back. We'll do some more news with Todd Tulsis. We'll talk about the booyahs which is coming up. Yep. Uh, Next some, Saturday. We will talk to Sherry Heiner from Mattress World. They're sponsors of the Polar Plunge uh, Columbia, which is coming up February 21st, 2009, to benefit Special Olympics Oregon. So we'll talk to Sherry about that, and we'll do the top five apocalyptic singles of all time. And we'll have Todd do them in his best apocalyptic voice. Back after this, here's Dwight Yoakam. Hi ho, do you know the names of the U.S. residents who then became the president and got a view from the White House through a Pennsylvania Avenue? George Washington was the first you see. He once chopped down a cherry tree. President number two would be Don and then number three Tom Jefferson stayed up to write a declaration late at night So he and his wife had a great big fight And she made him sleep on the couch all night James Madison never had a son And he fought the Lord of the Well, James Monroe's colossal nose was bigger than Pinocchio John Quincy Adams was number six And it's Andrew Jackson's butt he kicks So Jackson learns to play politics Next time he's the one that the country picks Martin Van Buren, number eight, for a one-term shot at Chief of State. William Harrison, how do you praise? That guy was dead in 30 days. John Tyler, he liked country folk. And after him came President Polk. Zachary Taylor liked to smoke. His breath killed friends whenever he spoke. 1850, really nifty Miller, Bill Mosin. Young and fierce was Franklin Pierce, the man without a chin. Follows next up, period, spelling. Four long years with Chase Buchanan. Then the South starts shooting cannons. And we got a civil war. A war, a war, that's how to take me. 
comes old Dave Lincoln. There's a guy who's really thinking. Get the United States, I'm shrinking. Say the ship of state, I'm sinking. Andrew Johnson's next. He has some slightly debt. Congress each would impeach. And so the country now elects. Ulysses Simpson Grant, who would scream and rave and rant. While drinking whiskey, oh, the risky, cause he's still it on his path. It's 1877 and the Democrats would gloat But they're all amazed when Rutherford Hayes wins by just one vote James Garfield, someone really hated Cause he was assassinated Chester Arthur gets instated Four years later he was traded But Robert Cleveland really fat Elected twice as a Democrat Then Benjamin Harrison after that Is William McKinley at the back Teddy Roosevelt charged up San Juan Hill And President Taft, he got the bill In 1913, Woodrow Wilson some takes us into World War One. Warren Harding next in line. It's Calvin Coolidge, he does fine. And then in 1929, the market crashes and we fight. It's Herbert Hoover's big debut, he gets the blame and loses too. Franklin Roosevelt, President, who helped us win in World War Two. Harry Truman, we're little human, serves two terms and when he's done. It's Eisenhower who's got the power from 53 to 61. John Kennedy had Camelot, then Lyndon Johnson took his spot. Richard Nixon, he gets caught, and Gerald Ford fell down a lot. Jimmy Carter, like camping trip, and Ronald Reagan's speeches scripts all came from famous movie clips, and President Bush said, read my lips. Now in Washington, D.C., the Democrats and the GOP, but the ones in charge are plain to see. The Clintons, Bill and Hillary. The next president to lead the way Well, it just might be yourself one day Then the press will distort everything you say So jump in your brain and fly away Wonderful. Animaniacs. God, I love educational fun. <sighs> I love Animaniacs. It's been a long time. You know what? That was it. I don't say underrated, but I mean really just a, oh, yeah. one of the one of the one of the great high water marks of Western culture. I used right to watch there. that with DuckTales. DuckTales. Yeah. Pinky in the brain. Um oh, yeah. The Animaniacs were the smaller versions of the Warner Brothers cartoons, weren't they? Well, no, there was Tiny Toons. That was Tiny Toons. Yeah. It was Tiny Toons that were, um... Uh, was Spielberg did Tiny Toons? Or was that Animaniacs no, uh, Spielberg did? Oh, see, now I don't even know. Now I can't... I'll see, I knew it until you said it. Now, it, now it's muddying the waters. Um, the Tiny Toons, you know... Um, and now our song is done. Yeah. That was the Tiny Toons, I think. Right. All right. Now, see, now it's all blended Sorry, together in my brain. Throw things in, make it work for you. Um, we're Tiny Toon Adventures. Come and join the fun. And now, and Tiny Toons had like that the character of Elmira, who was a little girl that would like find animals and just hug them to death. Yeah, uh, I wanted to squeeze you and squeeze you to pieces. Yeah, the little Spielberg and the little Porky Pig was called Hamlet. Yes. Yes. Hey, you know what? Underrated cartoon is Muppet Babies. Muppet oh. Babies, underrated. That's a great cartoon. I remember that theme song. I just almost, almost want to go, Muppet Babies. You, you know what? I have no problem with Please Muppet Babies. Explaining. Because it was just great. It was it was legitimately sweet and charming and funny. And it had Barbara Billingsley as the voice of the of the, the nanny who you never saw. You just saw her ankles and her feet. Um, but it was the Muppet Babies who were just what they sounded. They were little baby versions of like Hermit the Frog right. and Miss Piggy. And they were in the nursery all day. And so they would just make up to amuse themselves. They would just make up these adventures in their imagination. And they would have these incredible adventures. And then they would go back and it would just be at the nursery. It was, I mean, obviously not for like adults as such. Well, but I mean, it was, but it was a, it was a legitimately good, uh, cartoon. I was, uh, that is, I think, one of the, one of the kind of overlooked, uh, one of the overlooked cartoons of the last 20 years. Was Muppet that babies. before or after Hanson died? Uh, it would have been. 
before, I think, I think it was before Henson died. It was like after Fraggle Rock, but before he died. Okay. I mean, it would have been like, I think, late 80s. Because okay. I think Henson died in maybe 90, That's something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, in any event. Oh, I love them. I'm just watching, listening to that opening theme. I'm like, I still remember every word to that yeah. opening theme. It was, it was great. It was really good. That and Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. Oh, Fraggle, Fraggle Rock is the That best. show fascinated me when they'd eat their little, obviously I know they're like little plastic sticks, but when they'd be down there eating the crystals. Radishes. Yeah, and, and yeah. I just thought it was so magical. I'm like, look at them. They love eating their crystal buildings. The whole sets and everything were fantastic. I'll confess that I have never seen Fraggle Rock. Oh, wow. You would really like Rick, it. Rick, yeah. I, it was right on, up your alley. I've cool. I didn't. It was on HBO. We didn't have HBO. I and uh, so that's the. I mean, it's like a thing I can reference because it's Henson, and I kind of yeah. know it. And because the characters in Fraggle Rock look a lot like the characters in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. <laughs> so if you watch Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which is where the Muddy River Nightmare Band got, band got their name here in Portland, because there's the Muddy, there's the River Bottom Nightmare Band in Emmett Otter. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas features a band. It's about an otter who is entering this. Like Battle of the Bands thing because he wants to buy his mom a Christmas present. And he loses to a band called the Nightmares, who are like this metal band, this kind of metal punk mm-hmm. band. And they're called the River Bottom Nightmare Band, I think, actually. Or not the Nightmares, they're called the River Bottom Nightmare Band. But they look just like the Fraggle Rock characters. Okay. And it's, it's right. a weird sort of, like, all of that Henson stuff kind of, you know, blends together. Um, in any event. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Tulsis is here. How are you, sir? I'm fine, uh, Rick Emerson. How are you? I am fantastic. Let's do some more news, then we'll talk about the Booyah Awards here as we head toward the bottom of the hour. Todd Tulsis. Local stories. Parents, your immunization deadline is here for your kids. If you're a parent and your child has not been immunized with vaccines required by Oregon state law, he or she will not be permitted to attend school starting tomorrow. If your child is a festering disease pit, (laughs) which he is. I mean, that's the thing. Like, your kid is just filled with illness. That's the thing about kids. They're germ farms. Acquired from a variety of sources. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it usually have involving, like, fingers jammed into some opening. <laughs> Wall sockets. And then, well, I was thinking of a different opening, but sure, that too. That too. And then right into the mouth, or the mouth of some other unfortunate kid next to him at the preschool. You know? Oh. it's You know, it's a lot of, like... You know, you know, it's like to pull my finger. It's a lot of let me jam my finger into your mouth. Uh, Except you know? for the precious snowflake who was named after you, correct? Except for Emerson uh, Ava, That's who right. is uh, remarkably free of any and all deficiencies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't say the same for that Dylan Riley kid. <laughs> Dylan Riley kid is uh, a lost cause. I'm, I'm afraid. Men just trash talk babies. <laughs> That's what I do. That's how we spend our time. That way I insult children and babies all day. All right. Well, that. But I heard something because you know there's always that nutcase hippie parent, like who you know I'm not gonna give give my kids that so-called polio vaccine or whatever, which is you know it's like always the same. It's the same parent that's screaming that like fluoride is there to put microchips in your kid's brain or whatever. And here's the thing about that is like the parent who resists immunizing their kid. Then this this dumb thing happens where the kid doesn't get sick and the parent says, well, see, he didn't need the immunization, you fascist. When in reality, the kid didn't get sick because every other kid at the school is immunized. So there's no one to give the kid the illness. But, you know. But which would be dumber, not giving your child the required vaccines uh, required by the state or withholding treatment after they do get sick? Well, I think it's withholding. Withholding treatment. Well, because if you don't give your kid a vaccine, I mean, I guess, although I don't even know, I don't even know what you get. Well, you, Scott Daly, you have. Yes, uh, I have experience uh, in this. And, it, and I, I don't think I've ever actually inquired. None of my business, Todd Tulsa's. I've never actually inquired as to, to whether you have uh, whether you have little ones or no, not so little ones. We don't. All right. Um, so, Scott Daly, you're yes. the only you're the only breeder. Here. I'm the only breeder in the room, yes. <laughs> Sir, or You've bred multiple times, I've right? bred twice. Twice. 
Yes. Uh, and so, but you, and so your kids, you got to get them immunized for stuff. I do. Yeah. So yeah, is it polio? Polio and whatever. To be honest, I don't even know what it is to get immunized for. Uh, we, there are requirements that for the school. My daughter is in a preschool. Uh-huh. My son's in first grade. It's a charter school, but it's still part of the public school system in Columbia County. Uh, so he's supposed to be immunized as well. And you know, there's there's all the vaccinations they have to go through. I like the idea. You don't even check. The doctor just has a whole tray full of needles, and you're like, whatever. Well, have at it. <laughs> well, to be fair, my my ex-wife takes care of that stuff. So all right. So, it, but, but growing up, I was never immunized because I was raised Christian scientist. Ah, yeah. So, what I, is a Christian uh, scientist? Oh boy, oh. Uh, Christian scientist believes in the power of prayer over the power of medicine. They don't take with any of that line. fancy, like you know, like Doctors a doctor. And, and, it's a Jesus will heal everything. Uh-huh. Okay, here's a dumb question. So, was your priest not a priest? He was a scientist. No, he's not even a priest. They're readers, and they get up and they read. Every, every, did you ever see the Christian Science Reading Room downtown by Safeway? No. Right, hence yeah. the Christian Science there's, Monitor. There's, it's filled with newspapers. Christian Science, Christian Science was founded by Mary Baker Eddy in the early 20th century, like 1906 or 7, uh, who, who was... Who was Nah, that's her say. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she believed in the power of prayer to heal, and she wrote this book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which is a... a, a, a explanation, if you will, in her words of Christian science of what the Bible actually means, what it's saying when that thou shalt not kill, what does that mean, their interpretation, as this whole big religion founded off that called Christian science. And there's a huge, they call them, I, I could do not, it's called, it's called the Mother Church in Boston. It's this massive, huge structure. Christian Science monitors. it's a very well-respected newspaper. Right. It's and it's, it's, uh, it's published there in Boston. Uh, but I was raised that way. My mother is, was, and still is very actively involved. But the in whole scientists. thing is they just don't, they don't believe in, in, in like scientific or medical treatment. It's that they, Jesus will heal whatever's wrong with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the church service is actually, each week there's an assigned lesson that the Mother Church sends out via the airwaves or whatever, and uh, there's the, there's chapters uh, in the Bible followed up by chapters in the science and health with correspond to that. Do they do like faith healing? In other words, or is it just in like sense, like do they do a whole thing about like I can't walk and they they do a serve they a prayer no, ceremony or do they just like pray harder? They think it's like leap of faith. It's not Steve Martin <laughs> totally. style. No, yeah. it's not like that at all. Uh, <laughs> pretty much, if you're sick, you call a practitioner someone to read the Bible for you and send good thoughts. Yes, people actually get paid to do this. Uh, and send your send good thoughts your way, and then amazingly later, you're healed. Or so not. I, I didn't mean, and, and I didn't mean to disparage your faith. No, at all no, it's not my faith. I was raised that way. But I, you were raised that yes. way. So, but but obviously you are, you're you're in favor of immunizing immunizing oh, your children. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. definitely. Because you so, know I I, I here's the Europe, because preschools and schools are a a. a cesspool of bacteria. Well, this is what Mr. Emerson uh, was talking uh, about a second ago. And exactly. also, Jesus created doctors. I mean, that's and, the, you know, in yeah. So, But here's the thing. Here's a dumb question, though. So, but you're wearing glasses. Did they let you get glasses? Yes, they did. Well, what the hell is that about? Uh, see, that's a fun question. Have Jesus to fix your eyes. That's... You were supposed to pray harder for better vision? I mean, I no, but, no, but, so. no but, that, but clearly not. Like, I guess you can have... I mean, I'm like... I guess I realize you're not a practicing Christian scientist, so I'm, I don't mean to be acting as though like you should answer these questions. But I mean that's just that's just silly. well, that's one that's one of the reasons I'm not a practicing Christian scientist because I don't get it. It's it, the, the the whole thing. It, I cannot comprehend. Yeah. Ask James Hetfield about it. Like. Um, yeah, James exactly. Hetfield from Metallica. Mom got the uh, the cancer, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, they're both strict Christian scientists, and so you wonder why that guy was so effed up coming out of his adolescence because the mom. You know, and it was the best kind of cancer. It was the kind that, like, kills you slowly over three years, you know, like, so your whole family can be traumatized. And then Headfield's just like, you know, there's a hospital right down the Shush! Jesus! Just no, but there's a doctor right up the quiet! You know, and there when I got... Pray harder! To be fair, when I got older, when I was 14 or 15, uh, I got a big scar up my forehead here, and I, 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 I hit my head on the counter, the corner of a counter, I just... 
gushed blood. I could have easily gotten stitches. And it was that bit where, like, okay, mom's like, well, we can go to see a doctor or we can pray about it. And, of course, it's my mom telling me. I was like, I guess we'll pray about it. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, it's it, – but, but, yeah, the glasses, a lot of things. It just it makes no That's sense. That's just silly, Scott. Yeah, it really is. Why are we talking about this? Oh, we were I talking about immunization. Oh, sorry, and, I, and I, had story. Asked, I just never met a Christmas. Oh, yeah. So there, it's like, well, as I said, you know, everybody's got their own brand of – well, and you see these Whatever. stories about okay. these parents who who let their kids die because they oh, depended on the power of prayer. Because you were talking about faith healing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. Faith, yeah. Faith, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. We have this book where we put people that need to be punished someday. And, yeah, faith killing parents, like every third entry in there is somebody, mm. you know, like, hey, your kid's on fire. Well, I'm going to pray for rain. And you know? every third and, story uh, with that faith healing is a Christian Seriously. Scientist. I mean, so. yeah, get bent, friends. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd told us. Meanwhile, uh, a beer tax here in the state of Oregon has been proposed, and it sparks quite a uh, outcry from the brewers. Oregon legislators are considering a bill that would raise taxes on beer. That's just wrong. The current tax on a keg is $2.60, but the proposal would raise it to nearly 50 bucks per keg. That's un-American. That's messed up. That is not right. And now the money wrong. generated would be used to help alcohol, drug treatment, and recovery <laughs> programs. <laughs> really? At least it's going to the right place. And Are you look. kidding me? What? No. Is this uh, like the 1900% proposed tax? Is that what this one is? It is the 1900%. 1900%. That's like a made-up number. I was at a um, at a pub yesterday with my friend, and we were having dinner, and yeah, I saw a sign on the wall that said, like, you know, but stop the tax increase 1900%. It didn't even make any sense. It's a 19 skillion percent tax. <laughs> and and you got to ask yourself, they're asking for, uh, the current tax is $2.60 per keg, and they're suggesting we want to bump it up to nearly 50 bucks per keg. Do do they need the money that badly in the in the uh, treatment of alcohol well, and recovery program? See, Isn't there like a middle ground, like maybe twenty two bucks a keg or well, something? That like was that? my other thing. I was gonna, it's not like we don't need the money; we just need the money for other things. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about this today that like they're going to be uh, the TriMet is going to be uh, cutting back some of the bus lines, getting rid of other bus lines, right. getting rid of some hours of light rail service. You know, but instead I got to go like help Otis the drunk uh, like figure out what he wants to do with his life. And I really, I, I mean, besides spend the night in the jail. Yeah, really. I, you know, no, no, thank you, no, friend. You can figure that road out for yourself. I don't care. There's better things to tax for crying aloud. I mean, Jeez. have Jesus fix that guy. Right? Yeah, can we, there you go. Seriously, can we decide what we want Jesus to handle? And like, we had to do like a blind. You know, they do those double blind tests. You know, where it's like we gave, we gave group number one like an experimental medication. We gave group number two a, a placebo, a sugar pill. Yeah. You know, why don't we do a double blind here? We'll have actual tax money and like scientists and like guys who go to school fix certain things. We'll let Jesus fix all of that stuff. And <laughs> see how that goes. And you know what? We'll regroup in ten years and we'll see where we are. Yeah, okay. Fantastic idea. The love of we ought to pass a resolution right now that we ask Jesus to handle like some of these things that <laughs> that really a, a minority of people care about. You know what? I'm taking an economics class literally as we speak, and I'm going to bring it up in my next discussion group. Good for you. Let's let Jesus take care of it. <laughs> Let's well, why not? Sure. Let Jesus handle this. He'll be fine. Right. Uh, let's do uh, one more here, and then we'll do our Facebook poetry for the day. Okay. And Northwest we'll Airlines facing resistance over peanuts on the flights. Some air travelers are protesting the return of peanuts on Northwest Airline flights. Travelers with allergies have flooded the company with emails. Many are asking for return of pretzels. When did peanuts become public when enemy number one? When did peanuts come back? I thought it was always pretzels. Uh, no, no, no. It was, see, you're... Well, you, it was you're, peanuts and then pretzels, because I always get stale pretzels, and I miss the peanuts. Yeah, I you're... little rice puffs. Yeah, don't get me started. Oh, those are... <laughs> those no. are very bad. Yeah. Rice puffs? Oh, they're terrible. Well, and, they're, and it's like... What, like styrofoam. Here's a crazy... <laughs> like, would it be so much for the airlines to give you something that wasn't filled with salt and starch, and then to give you, like, a shot of water? Because that's the thing. Like, they have to... 
Like, you know what I would pay more for on an airline if they would give you a full-size bottle of water? You mean like just a regular, like, 12-ounce bottle yeah, of water? Yeah, because, because I was like, have some more stale pretzels, Sarah. And then, you know, you're like, I need some water. And they bring you that Dasani thing. It's like, it's if like, you want another one, it'll be $5. Totally. Well, that's the thing. They're now charging for an, every water beyond the first one they're charging you for. And the bottle's like that, man. It's minuscule. I, minuscule. I do have a little insight on this with regarding water on flights. Apparently, uh, I saw a documentary on this, and apparently the, uh, the airlines are always trying to reduce the amount of weight on the planes because more weight means more fuel consumed to get it off the ground and fly it to wherever it's going. So they took out... The drinking water dispensers on just about every single plane. Here's how they could counteract that, though. A, they could get rid of everything but the Sky Mall because no one reads any <laughs> any of that other stuff, including the emergency cards. Seriously, when is the last time you read any any magazine back? Because there's like nine of them, right? There's the Sky Mall, which we read, right? And then there's like five of them. I don't even know what they are. I don't even know. Let's talk about are. fancy places that you'd never be able to afford to. Right, see. Yeah, or like, exactly. You know, like, or like the lifestyle magazine for Delta Airlines. Right. What's happening at Continental Airlines? You know, and it, like, no one cares what's happening. Or how about stop making us all together and use that money for the fuel for the extra weight for the water? That's my thing. Also, this here's the other thing they could do. They could get rid of that uh, the seat back tray or whatever, and they could instead just have like some little holes there because like probably at any given time only like a third of the people ever use that. And you know what? They have that on the cart. You're going to eat? Here you go. Here's your tray. You stick well, it in the well, thing. there's nothing big enough to put on a seat back tray anymore. That's they true. It's just a, a little, bag of a pretzels. A bag, which is, you know, you know, the size of two fingers on your hand, and a small cup, which could go in a little cup oh, holder instead of the, the, the armrest. Instead of the back the seat back tray, since the bulkhead seats have those little trays in the arms of the seat right. already. Just keep it in there. Yeah, right. it out. makes Ooh, no sense. Good. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's do this. Let's talk. Uh, let us talk about the Booyah Awards. We'll do our uh, Facebook poetry. And we'll take a break. Scott Daly. Yes. What are the Booyah Awards? The second annual Booyah Awards are coming up this Friday, the 21st at Cosmic <laughs> Monkey. Saturday, is it Friday? Yes. Cosmic Monkey. Saturday, the 21st at Cosmic Monkey. Scott Daly, what are the Booyah Awards? The second annual Booyah <laughs> Awards are coming up this Saturday, February 21st at 7 p.m. at Cosmic Monkey. What the Booyah Awards are. This is uh, uh, Geek in the City Radio's own stuff. There are versions of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Last year, Aaron and I decided we'd do something fun, get everyone together, see if we actually had people come to our event. And uh, we have, like, best picture, best actor, best actress, best director, so on and so forth down the line. And it's pretty much our opportunity to get up in front of people and drink a lot of beer, give out give out movie prizes, answer trivia questions, and just hang out with our listeners, which is which is a lot of fun. We love doing it. Uh, last year, by the way, the Booyah Awards, I think the first time any of us saw it, Timmy Ryan and his girlfriend, Shelly. Uh, no, that was the first night they met. They met was they, that they met? I think they met at the Booyah. Because I went yeah. there and they were, like, no, they were like, all on oh, each I guess, other. <laughs> I can't say that. Never mind. Yeah, they were... Oh, they were on each other for sure. That, They're that, experimenting that, with each other. That on a pool, pool table, table was. Uh, <laughs> what? What were you going to say? I mean, I can't say it. I'll be. Oh yeah, no, that's a, no. <laughs> wow. No. Yeah, sorry. So you but basically, me yeah. Saying it, wait until you had to see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I but think he, I was here's, to this, here's the weird thing about that though. So it was Timmy Ryan and Shelley, with whom he eventually moved to Nashville. Um, and um, the, I mean. I, I think it took like another two or three meetings before I even knew what she looked like because every time I would look over, he was just like, and just seriously like mashing his and face on the. All I could see is that she had red hair and like wore a lot of black. I saw that she had a polka dot dress on. That's it. That's yeah. all I noticed. So I mean, it was just like the back of Timmy Ryan's head, and then like a bunch of like kind of weird humpy motions. It was all very was disturbing. All really gross, so. We we have a couple of really fun, uh, cool things going on this year. Um, it, again, it's, it's all ages, Cosmic Monkey Comics. We're going to have... Um, 
contests, trivia contests. We're going to have prizes from Guardian Games and from Cosmic Monkeys doing some stuff. Uh, I've got a trunk full of swag just to give away. So come out, win the prizes. We also have our, our, our um, official ballot. Our nominees are at geekinthecity.com. You can download the ballot right there. Uh, big thanks to Jason Crump of Vanish Twin and, and Bobby Fatboy Roberts of Rock 101 KUFO for making this amazing poster for the Booyahs this year. Um, a couple of the, the the categories. One is going to be a listener's choice. So listeners of the Rick Emerson Show or of uh, of and or of Geek in the City Radio, send us their submissions for your favorite films of the year. We're going to have a listener choice uh, category. So whichever film that you like the best, email it in. We're going to compile it together and have a listener's choice nominee. We also have a, 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 a category for best trailer. We got a category for best package DVD of the year for last that came out last year. Um, best theatrical poster is one of the new ones as well that we're really excited about. So, again, it's just an opportunity for us to kind of geek out and have fun. So do you, um, do you have a listing of who the contenders are? Uh, I don't have it with me, but it's a... Is, key, the, is Dark Knight one of the poster ones? Oh, yeah. Okay. Dark, Dark <laughs> like Knight, seven of the poster ones? Dark Knight is pretty much in every single category. I, I just rewatched that on <laughs> Valentine's Day, and yeah. that is just such an amazing movie. Yeah. Yeah, we have the Dark Knight pretty much every category this year. Fantastic. just the way it is. Uh, but, yeah, so come out at Cosmic Monkey Comics on... Um, 53rd Northeast Sandy, Saturday, the 21st of February, 7 p.m. for the Booyah Awards and the Good Times. Rick, I believe you're going to uh, I, be I in attendance. Will, I will be there, yes. Sir, but Todd, you yes. would love to have you come out to it. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, come on down, and, and uh, it'll be we'll have a good time. Last year, we had about 70 people. We're hoping to break 100 this year, so Fantastic. not bad for a little podcast. Saturday, <laughs> February 21st, ladies and yes, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Uh, more details at geekinthecity.com. Uh, Indeed. All right, so that time, once again, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Facebook Status Poetry. On the Rick Emerson radio program. Let me just. Uh... Did you find it? All right. We didn't do the uh, we didn't do the status synchronization, but we'll resume that tomorrow. I got to get like a little world of tomorrow. We got a little sidetracked. Yes, we did, Sarah. <laughs> Speaking of which, do you know the answer to this? What can I expect to hear on the recap tomorrow? Do you know? Um, none of the first hour and a half. Thank you. I've already had that discussion. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Richie, Richie's, a, you know, a good guy. He he already knows. Oh, he knew. Just like he knew at one point, like when we went to break, and at first he's like, I'm going to leave and go to the kitchen and do something else. <laughs> All right. Here is your Facebook status poetry for Monday, President's Day, February 16th. Allison is round. Jennifer is wondering just how much snot a human head can hold. Aaron is ready to brainstorm. Peter Carlin has a bad reputation and isn't just talk, talk, talk. Tara is doing the old show prepping. Tara is on the air. Tara is playing a song she loves. Tara can't wait to get outside in the sun. I'm going to skip like the next three Tara entries. Andy apologizes for any social faux pas he makes in the next three hours as he just had a bunch of viso and is buzzed on caffeine. Mike is thinking a drink would be good right now. It's been one of those mornings. Apparently 12 aspirin are bad, so why not drink more beer? Chris has no cheese. Wait, I have one more. Was I ending on the cheese? 
No, we'll just end on that one. Chris has... Well, I still have a bunch more. See, so oh, do you have more? Keep going through. Oh, yeah. So let's just go through these today. All right, let's see. How about this one? Um, Sarah says four great words. That's not me, by the way. Pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica is wicked retarded. Stephen is sending VD cards to family. <laughs> Did you send yours? Tara is thinking Chris Martin needs to buy her a present because everyone is driving me flipping insane over these Coldplay tickets. Tara? Tara updated her status? It's hard to believe. Tara? Really? Tara apparently has a macro key at her computer that allows her to update every 30 seconds. Marsha had a wardrobe malfunction at the gym that could have been really embarrassing. Tara is laughing at all the people who are calling her about Coldplay tickets. Liz is trying to figure out where to start the fun. Maybe the Museum of Sex. Lisa says, hooray for surprises. Greg is at Starbucks. Chris is not excited about his chest cold. Lyle is the first one to starve, the first one to die. Jay is timing out my daily dosage of Percocet, so I won't be in too much pain when I go back to work tonight at midnight. Holly wants to be the flame, not the moth. And finally, Tara is getting ready to rock and to give away Coldplay tickets, apparently. There you go. Another exciting installment of Facebook status poetry back after this on The Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. Some of the time. It's uh, 503-733-2970. We're joined today by Todd Tulsis. You can find out more about him at imagingvoice.com. Hello, Todd Tulsis. Hi, Rick Emerson. How are you? I am fantabulous. Is how I am. All right. Um, and so forth. Uh, so, regrettably, so the top five uh, uh, for today is probably going to end up being the top five for tomorrow, uh, which surprises no one. I, at this point, I feel like the top five, um, like it ought to be some sort of bonus feature uh, where I don't even tease it. It just sort of appears like an Easter egg. Uh, I had the top five apocalyptic-sounding singles I was going to get to today, and then that didn't so much happen as it did entirely uh, not happen. So we'll do that tomorrow. Tomorrow, our guest will also include Don Taylor of Film.com, Mike Nelson, formerly of Mystery Science Theater 3000, now of Riff Tracks, uh, dot com, and we will also talk uh, tomorrow to uh, Ricardo Torres, who is the editor in chief at GameSpot Magazine, and we're going to talk about the evolution of the first-person shooter uh, video game. Uh, that is tomorrow. We never did your video game script. Oh yeah, well, uh, is it the uh, is it fantastic? I bet it is. I don't know about fantastic. You know, it's it's it's. Best. Oh, Todd, come on. I don't know about fantastic, but I think uh, you'd have some fun taking a swing at it. Do, do we have two copies of the, uh, the yeah, script? We have two. Copies. You're a good person. 
Fantastic. Here's yours. All right, well, let's uh, so let's do this, and then uh, we're going to be joined by the lovely Sherry Heiner from Metris World. Uh, we're going to talk about Polar Plunge Columbia, which is coming up February 21st, 2009. Uh, Broughton Beach, Portland. It is a, uh, a benefit for Special Olympics Oregon. So we will be talking about that in a moment, and then I will talk about the various ways in which I am a, I am a big chicken. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to. I mean, Seriously, there's no other way to uh, there's no other way to get around it, Sherry. I'm I'm Rick, afraid. Don't you want to help the children? Yeah, it's kind of I it's it's worse than it sounds. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Wait, is that supposed to make me feel better or not? Yeah, I can't you quite should tell. just join in. I'm sure it's not a problem whatsoever. My, it only took a day for me to get feeling back in my toes from the rehearsal. You should, you're really There's selling a rehearsal? this. I, yeah, uh, we had a rehearsal. Oh. That's what Court and Bobby did, and that's where uh, uh, that's where what's his name kissed Bobby on the mouth. Uh, okay. The uh, who's the uh, Drew Carney? Drew Carney. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't think I don't know if it was like a preemptive CPR kind of a, like in case you should need to be revived. Bobby, yeah, they did it just in, that's what they kept saying when they kept rehearsing over and over that it's just to practice, just to practice CPR. Yeah. Well, that's a, I'll have to file that away for lines to use in the future. I, you probably get told this all the time, but it's it's kind of weird in a great way to have you sort of standing right here because you know you're on the television. Total crush on all, you. I, <laughs> thanks so much, Sarah. What? Jo- I didn't know. Joni just reminded me of it. No, no. No, you're you're a, a TV star. I mean, we all no, you know. You know, no, no, no. I I am just me, and luckily, thank goodness, I've, Portland is so great, and they always jump on the bandwagon as far as charities and stuff. I am so proud to be a part of this community but i am not a star um i don't get paid to be there unfortunately for all of portland i pay to be there a lot but um when you pay me then i'll be a star all right <laughs> I was, anybody uh who is uh, you know lives in portland for any length of time i mean your face on those mattress world commercials is i mean it becomes it becomes a big part of the cultural you know part of the cultural tapestry and uh I, I, what sarah's referring to is actually my wife um Will occasionally Let's get that clear your wife, my wife, uh, to whom I am devoted. Yeah. That, right there, that's a ring, right there. Um, no, Way I, to go, Mr. Smooth. I'm just saying, just, there's no awkwardness. I'll be in the kitchen sometimes, though. And I'll be doing like whatever. And, uh, my wife will say like. Hey, by the way, you probably want to come out here. Uh, Sherry Heiner's in a new Mattress World commercial. I'll pause it for you. <laughs> so I come out and so anyway, so that's awkward. But um, but so the Polar Plunge uh, Columbia is coming up uh, uh, Saturday, February 21st. And before we go any further, I'll say uh, it is a benefit for Special Olympics Oregon. You can find out more. You can register at the uh, location. It's at Broughton Beach. You can find out more at soor.org slash plunge. Like Special Olympics Oregon. Soor.org slash plunge. And is so you at the rehearsal? Did you you did it? You jumped in? Yeah, they kept telling me I don't I didn't have to I didn't have to I didn't have to and then I called the home front and the home front said I was a chicken if I didn't and I was like well yes you're right I uh, yeah you're like I'm okay with yeah, that yeah that's okay I'm fine but then I found out that it was actually colder outside than it was in the river so actually when I first it ran in it was okay because it was like warmer. That sounds like a sort of like Tom Sawyer when he's whitewashing the fence. He's like, no, 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 it's lots of fun. Yeah. Oh, you're missing yeah. out. Come on. So, um, yeah, the Special Olympics is a great cause, and I love that. And um, kind of how I got involved is kind of weird because the police are very involved in getting this going, and people always ask, well, how did you get involved? Well, there's this Clackamas County. There's a um, I can't remember his rank right now, so I'm gonna say sergeant, but I think he's higher than that. Um, General Overlord. Yeah, General Overlord of all Clackamas County Police, PJ. Um, he, I, uh, he used to come to me. There's two things I hate. One is being cold, and the other one is for PJ to come and say, "I need to speak to your nephew." <laughs> 
So I got to know PJ because he used to say that a lot. So, All right, then. Yeah. So but thank goodness for my nephew or I wouldn't have gotten involved in the Special Olympics. So, so, um, so how – this is a silly question. So how – I mean, people do this. They jump in. How cold – how cold is it? I mean, do you know, or do you even, do you not want to know? I do not want to know because it took it t- it took till the next day till I could feel my toes again. Wow! Oh, wow! That and, does not sound like fun. <laughs> it sort of begs to ask the question though: How long were you in there? Not that long because we ran out. We we were standing outside and it was freezing. We were waiting for it to could become the time that we could do it. And so we were standing by a fire, and I would say we were probably out there 30 seconds, which seemed probably like an hour and a half, but it was probably only 30 seconds because we ran out and ran back. So in the river for 30 seconds. Yeah. So that's all you have to do is just run out. You don't need to tread and water or yeah, anything? Yeah, well, they want us to, like, I think, go up to our necks or whatever. And so it's not like just to your ankles or whatever. No, like you got to no, pull no, on. No, no, and And everyone's like, well, you should fall in. I'm like, you fall in the river. <laughs> <laughs> but I throw you in, friend. Yeah. Yeah, and but, and people can do this individually, or they can get teams together, and there's prizes if you get you know the, the most number of pledges Correct. for your team, and and then you get to brag, right? Yes, we get a brag, and we have I have a whole bunch of people that are going out to support me, and um, so I was trying to think what to do, but since I hurt my back, we're going for pajamas. I think we all need to wear pajamas. Excellent. All of my team. That's <laughs> <laughs> what's happening at Broughton Beach, uh, February 21st, 2009, Polar Plunge Columbia, presented by Mattress World, and it benefits Special Olympics uh, Oregon. You can find out more. You can register uh, You can register at the event, actually, at the day of the event. You can also, also register online at uh, soor.org slash plunge. That is uh, soor.org slash plunge. You can find out more about that, by the way, at 970.am. If you just want to streamline that URL, you can go to 970.am, and there's uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Do you have advice? So if people are thinking about uh, doing it, is it like the mental is it the mental preparation? Is it to visualize yourself in a warm place? Or what do yeah, you do? Yeah, I, I don't know what to do other than you're going to freeze to death, but it'll all be worth it afterwards. <laughs> so um, it, it's cold. It's really cold, but it's it's <laughs> worth it in the end. And this will be the second time this year I've ran into the Columbia, which will be the second time in my life I've ran into the Columbia. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for, look, if one is going to suffer momentarily, I mean, you've got to find a good cause. It's like taking the... Uh, it's like taking the band-aid off all at once as opposed to just like plucking one hair at a time for like for like exactly. a month. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So Yeah. Find out more at nine seventy dot AM Polar Plunge Columbia presented by Mattress World. Well, Sherry, it was nice to finally meet you. Nice to meet this. you too. And uh-huh. thank you very much. All right. So there you we find out more at nine seventy dot AM, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mattress World presents Polar Plunge Columbia. Back after this, we will wrap it up with Todd Tolsis around the corner and uh, we will uh We'll take a crack at your latest video game audition uh, script here. All right, fantastic. Uh, Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show continues next. Don't go anywhere. is the Rick Emerson radio program. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of our show. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Don Taylor, uh, Mike Nelson, formerly of Mystery Science Theater, now of Rift Tracks, and from GameSpot Magazine, Ricardo Torres. We are here today with Todd Tulsis. Hello, Todd Tulsis. Hi, Rick Emerson. First of all, uh, let me just say, from everyone at our family to you, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, being understanding and gracious about the fact that, A, we ran like half an hour late. Uh, <laughs> Which, by the way, is the second time we've done that because remember we pushed Don Taylor half an hour late because we were all yelling at Richie that day. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Richie, quit being a jerk. And then it was a huge fight with Richie. And then Don Taylor was half an hour late. So I got to stop that. I'm gonna get that under control. Uh, so thank you uh, so much for being for being understanding. Well, you that. guys were busy. <laughs> thank you, Todd. <laughs> with what, Todd? I don't remember. Uh, all right, so this is uh, so this is your latest video game audition script. Yeah, this is an, uh, an audition. I, 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 I hand wrote the first line at the top, and okay. uh, there's and it says you know voiceover two, voiceover three. These are just uh, you know we can just alternate lines. This is for some uh, what is it called? Oh, uh, G-Force. G-Force uh, is yeah. the game you were auditioning for. So yeah, and well, what uh, kind of a game is it? You know? No, I really don't know. Uh, but uh, you know, you, there are secret agents involved. Uh, there's a, a mechanized army that's uh, trying to destroy the world. That sort of uh. stuff. It could be a first-person shooter type game. Well, one, I'll just start. Oh, we got about a minute, so let's go for it. I'll okay. just start with the first line here, and then we'll alternate. So okay, go I will, ahead. So you can hear like the contrast of of bad to good. Okay. Take control of the most powerful and covert special forces team ever assembled. Darwin, G-Force Commander. Oh, uh... Your turn, Rick. I'm sorry. Uh, just go, just jump mooch, to three. Secret sur- Surveillance. And the rest of the G-Force team. Blaster, Juarez, Hurley, and Speckles. As you whip... Blast. Uh, and battle an evil mechanized army determined to destroy mankind. Use your gadgets. Jetpack. Rapid deployment vehicle. Magnetic grapple. In intense spy action. But most of all, use your force. G-Force. And then you should say this last one. The fur will fly this July. That makes no sense. I mean, I'm sure it does in the context of whatever, but it's genius. Don't get me wrong. It's just... Uh, the fur will fly this July. Devoid of context, it can mean any number of things. All right. You can find out more about the man behind this voice. Uh, imagingvoice.com is how you get a hold of Todd Tulsa. Imagingvoice.com. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank oh, you so much for coming. It's a pleasure to be in. here, and thanks again for having me over on your very special day together. <laughs> Well, it was Valentine's Day this weekend. It was indeed. Uh, in fact, it was Valentine's Day, I think, when uh, when I was shushing you. Yes, that was magical. Well, Sarah, everybody celebrates in their own way. Thanks again. Another special holiday for I me. like to poke and prod myself. <laughs> we want to thank Sherry Heiner from Mattress World, as well as a CNN Radio correspondent Steve Castamon, ladies and gentlemen, Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Don Taylor, Ricardo Torres from GameSpot, and Mike Nelson. Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Excellent for AM 970. The talker, the newsroom, Todd Tolson, the phone, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget upstairs. Like us next, Michael Mara Show at 7 and Henry at 11. See you all tomorrow, and goodbye now.